Sorry, I was eating something. That's okay. There's like a tiny moment. I'm apologizing to the listeners, not to you. Well, I mean, do you want me to just ignore you? <laughs> <laughs> no. I no. can do that if you want. <laughs> no, please don't. Welcome back to Merlisten Guys, a monthly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. My name is The Incredible. And I'm in Snowfox. And today we are back with another episode review after a couple of episodes where we talked about other things. And today we are going to review the 11th episode of season 2, The Witch's Quickening. Yes, we are. Let's get to a talkback. First one that we have is from our lovely guest and also regular listener, Anne. And she commented on our Mordred character episode. And this is what she had to say. One of my favourite Asa Butterfield Mordred scenes slash character choices is when Merlin comes to help Arthur and Mordred escape from the cellar after trying to ignore Mordred. Merlin says something like, oh, it took a long time to get here, and Mordred gives him a look of, I don't believe you. <laughs> that says so much without a word. I think the people doing the episode commentary also said they liked that scene. Yeah. He doesn't believe. <laughs> yeah, man. Baby baby Asa was, was just really good at that murder stare. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, my biggest frustration with the Mordred character was always that I loved what they did with him in season one. And I loved Alex. But I felt like apart from physical resemblance, there wasn't much crossover between them like mm. we've like we've already established that there's a massive gaping plot hole that Arthur just conveniently doesn't remember where Mordred came from and happily lets him join his <laughs> most trusted inner circle it's like he's such a dumbass like what are you doing <laughs> and also yeah the fact that Mordred like for me it felt as though the the story was heavily suggesting through things like what Anne just described that Mordred is very aware of his destiny to kill Arthur. He's very aware that his path is not going to necessarily lead to good things, or at least he knows something that Merlin doesn't. He, I'd say Mordred knows more than like what Kilgara knows than necessarily Merlin does. That's at least that's what I got. That's what I got from the way Asa was directed. That's what I got from the way that the lines were delivered and so then to have him show up and just be kind of like oh Merlin why are you being so standoffish with me I thought we were best friends kind of thing wasn't what I expected hmm it's, I don't know it was a bit strange <laughs> but Asa as uh yeah as as Mordred is I have I mean he is top tier <laughs> yeah adore him right and I think that's actually yeah that that's all that she had to say about the Mordred episode. Uh, and then <laughs> she had uh, a slightly longer comment for the season one recap that we did. This is also Anne. And she Actually, said, no, she, her comment was short. My rant that's going to follow oh, is going to be I long. <laughs> well, there we go. I, there's a spoiler for you because Alex always <laughs> writes his comment. Like I just talk out of my ass and Alex like actually writes yeah, in, that's the, because... in the doc. <laughs> That, that's because when I read the comment, I have thoughts right. and then I write them down so I don't forget what thoughts I had when I read the comment. Good idea. So. <laughs> um, so she says, I totally agree with Alex on the fact that strong Woo! female characters are often uh, sexualized or tropey, quote unquote, regarding Morgana. I especially feel this way because I played this kind of female villain as Morgan Le Fay in my school play. 
I know Katie McGraw always says she finds her character interesting because she's more complex, quote unquote. And as an amateur actor, quote unquote, I often fall for this mindset too and would like to think of it that way. But really, this evil, strong, beautiful female villain trope is one of the least complex character traits. I found this really cool article on this via Emma Watson's Instagram, and she links it, and we will link it for you too if you want to read it. I'll let Alex, yeah. because he has a lot to say. <laughs> okay, so first of all, given that Katie too is kind of an amateur actress, it's not that surprising that you and she would have had the same mindset, I suppose. So, you know, that's that's just something that came to mind regarding the article i read it when i first read this comment and it led me on a well rant or a long thought and i don't know how much of this is going to end up in this episode it will be up to the mercy of roxanne i suppose but in the article that Anne quoted which is called i don't want to be the strong female lead that's the title of the article and there's a uh, a bit in there that I'm going to quote, it says, When we kill women in our stories, we aren't just annihilating female gendered bodies, we are annihilating the feminine as a force wherever it resides, in women, in men of the natural world. Because what we really mean when we say we want strong female leads is, give me a man, but in the body of a woman, I still want to see naked. It's difficult for us to imagine femininity itself, empathy, vulnerability, listening, as strong. When I look at the world our stories have helped us envision and then erect, these are the very qualities that have been vanquished in favor of an overwrought masculinity. That's the end of the quote. And I I honestly don't much remember what we said in the season one recap with regards to this subject, but since you brought it up, I don't think Morgana is the perfect example of this anymore. Like, I, I don't think this anymore. She was kind and caring. She had empathy in the first and even the second season while also being sexy. If anything, she becomes less sexy and provocative when she turns evil. Like she's sexy in season three as a means to an end and because she's pretending to be season two Morgana. And then from season four onwards, she doesn't care about her appearance either out of necessity, like she has no money, or because her priorities have shifted but also because it's no longer expected of her. And like Morgana still looks sexy to us because Katie is an incredibly beautiful woman and she continues to wear tight outfits that accentuate all her curves. And because that's what we have to come, what we have come to expect from Morgana's character after three seasons of her being sexy. Whereas on the other hand, Gwen, and I'm sorry to say this, but Gwen was never sexy. She was always the mother type, and we're not supposed to find the mother types fuckable. We're supposed to want to marry them because they will take care of us and organize our lives for us. And the more I think about this, the more I hate that Gwen was made into a servant character. Like I've said before, that putting a black woman in the role of a, of a servant is already yes, not great. And it's basically the equivalent of hitting us over the head with an anvil to show that she takes care of people. And then she's given all these other motherly character traits as well. She literally lectures Arthur as if he were her son and she had any right to tell her superior, like in terms of class, what he should or shouldn't do. And I think we said this in the Gwen character analysis, how she's a teacher for Arthur. But honestly, she's more of a mother because she sues him when he's upset and she lectures him when he did a bad thing. 
And to top it all, the costume and writing try to make her look as boring and wallflowery as humanly possible most of the time, or just kind of ridiculous looking. All of this to say that while there might always be good Watsonian reasons for a character's personality, like Gwen being this motherly type and Morgana being sexy while also being, you know, kind and caring and then later just being evil, the doylist background is usually that the writers wanted to have a sexy character, Morgana, and a feminine character, Gwen, and the sexy character has to lose in the end because what straight white cis men really want is a good, obedient waifu who takes care of them like their mothers would. There was another quote from the article. It says, I don't believe the feminine is sublime and the masculine is horrifying. I believe both are valuable, essential, powerful. But we have maligned one, venerated the other, and fallen into exaggerated performances of both that cause harm to all. I don't want to be the dead girl or Dave's wife, but I don't want to be a strong female lead either if my power is defined largely by violence and domination, conquest and colonization. Quote end. And that, uh, that bit made me think that, you know, you think that writing female characters would be easy. Like, uh, I think George R. R. Martin said, just write them like normal people. And yeah, in theory, that's what you should do. But the problem is that with decades upon centuries of female characters having been forced into one role or another, it's become almost impossible for us modern, enlightened feminist audiences to view or even judge a female character objectively. The Gwens and Morganas have a right to exist because they are real-life women who are like that or have the potential to be like that, and they may might turn out like that because of society's expectations of them or because they looked at society's expectations, thought about whether or not that's what they want out of life, and decided to be that person anyway because it's who they want to be. And so it's just, I find it these days really difficult to judge a female character either way because it's like saying there's a right or wrong way to be a woman i think what i really like particularly and, and i was gonna say this myself and i'm glad that you brought it up is that i agree with you morgana for me is a surprisingly sexless character like really she is she has no love interests but whatever like plot convenient love interests she needs like alva that is the closest like and we can consider him a love interest because she does lean in to kiss him she does you know show interest in him but she never shows interest in merlin um she does show interest in arthur but they never took it far enough like they always kept it in that will they won't they face so i find it a bit I don't know whether yeah. to call him a love interest or not. I think that he was, but they never really took it far enough. Um, and then uh, the times when they did try to make her um, more provocative in later seasons, for me, came across as more awkward and laughable. Like, it didn't really feel genuine, like the whole thing with Gwen and trying to, like, you know, get Gwen to, like, you know be beguiled by her and she was trying to like you know call the shots in like that wrestling ring and whatever and you know the stuff with Merlin in the cave I mean that was just more her being I think just a little shit and trying to like you know piss him off but I think like physically I would argue that they definitely I think they wanted her to be sexy this is what I think I think yeah. they wanted her to be but the thing is is that because Morgana already was so removed from that part of her personality 
it didn't really work in my opinion like you can see what they were going for because they doled her up and they gave her this big hair and this you know tight black dress but she doesn't come across as the kind of temptress that that they were going for because she and even Katie said you know Gwen gets all the guys I don't get anyone (laughs) which is very odd like and I think this is why Morgana and you know I don't want to go down this road necessarily but this is why I think Morgana has been kind of uh adopted by the queer community if you like because she's so kind of like that you can project your own kind of lesbianism onto her so easily because she's just kind of got that like anti-boy zone around her you know it's Mm -hmm. really really interesting uh that someone as gorgeous as katie got that kind of yeah plot yeah it's it's just it's great that you bring this up because i hadn't even thought of that when i said that you know um morgana as the supposedly sexy one doesn't like get a a lasting or a real love interest whereas all of the guys basically fawn over over gwen and fall over themselves to win her favor which is just more proof to what i said that you know the the cis white straight man what he wants is a dependable waifu who tells him what to do they don't want the the sexy the sexy woman who is strong in character and would probably step on them yeah unless that's what they're specifically into yeah it's really difficult i mean what what you were saying though about kind of women just being written as human beings you know and it's very difficult to write women i think it is i think the difficulty really is that i genuinely think it's difficult for people to write for a character that is not of their own gender i genuinely do think that it that, that this is hard because it, you can't help but project like you know when men writing women is never going to really turn out the way that it is in real life and I think also women writing men, because I think as someone that, you know, I mean, I don't write them obviously professionally, but you know, as someone that writes fic, as someone that likes to come up with stories mostly revolving around guys, I know that I do this and I often have to take a step back and I have to try and put myself in the shoes of a dude and be like, okay, how can I make like, how can I make this situation as needlessly complicated as I can? Like I try to... (laughs) You're right. Like, what a, th- a thing that uh, female writers also do, and this is not—I'm I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just something that I—not not just me—that other people have also noticed—is that we um, make the male characters that we write um, much more emotionally mature and in touch yeah. with their emotions because uh, That's what women and and those who have been socialized like women. Um, you know, that's, that's what we, that, that's what we've been taught to be, to be in touch with our emotions, to know what we want, to do all the emotional work. And so that's what we project onto the male characters. And I include myself in that because, you know, for 30 years of my life, I was socialized as a woman. It's something that I have definitely learned and, and am projecting onto male characters. It's really, um, I think, much more common than people think. And this is why I sometimes, like, when people are always like, oh, well, it's always, you know, guys writing women wrong. It's guys writing women wrong. I'm like, no, I don't necessarily think it's that. It's just that unless you've walked in someone else's shoes, you don't really know. And the truth is, is that men and women 
are different in society because we're told I mean, to be. We're told I to would, act different. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree. But then again, also, especially as a professional writer, mm. yeah, it kind of is your job to create characters that are believable oh, and course. real, regardless of, of gender. So yeah. if, if you happen to be a cis male writer and you don't know how to write a cis female character, like putting the bar basically on the ground here, like just one cis person writing another cis person, right? We're not even going into any any other gender on the spectrum, just a cis guy trying to write a cis woman, right? And if the cis guy realizes he can't do it, like properly, or <laughs> to, to, to be... To be quite honest he probably doesn't realize he probably thinks he's doing a great yeah. job but let's assume he were self-aware enough to realize he's not doing it right assuming that this guy realizes he doesn't know how to write a believable realistic female cis female character it's not like there aren't resources or ways of for him to you know figure it out and like the thing is for the most part men and women like it's not that different. Sure, we have been socialized differently. Uh, but, like, especially if you're writing a, a fantasy setting, like, make different social rules. <laughs> but, yeah, my main point is, my main point is that a, a cis male writer has access to to information to figure out how to write a female character. So so the excuse that, you know, they've been brought up differently, they've been socialized differently. Sure, it's, you know, it might be stopping them from being able to write a believable female character, but it's not like there aren't ways around that. Of and course, I think that's what course, the, yeah. that's what's being mostly criticized is that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they don't even try yeah, yeah. to overcome that because they they lack the awareness that that's even a problem yeah absolutely I think that is it is it is a real challenge and I think that unless you I mean I'm trying to think if it was me trying to professionally write like believable male characters you know I I do sometimes feel like well I would I guess just have to go and ask you know regular guys hey like what would you do in this situation you know but I think what what I think sometimes ends up happening for a lot of writers and I think we, we've we've all been guilty of this is that when you write you basically if you if you have never been in that position yourself whatever the position may be you try to strip down what's happening to its kind of base human emotions and most of us feel the same like most of us do feel the world the same way it's just that depending on where we come from and what we've been told is acceptable we don't necessarily always express it the same and so I yeah. think when we sometimes dig to that deep place we kind of go okay well you know we're all human we all feel things the same way but then we forget that we then project our own experiences on well okay but how would I deal with the situation and that's not necessarily gonna be how a dude or a woman would deal with it like they might deal with it very differently because of you know all of those things that we just mentioned so it's mm. a real struggle and honestly I don't I don't really envy people for um like who who have to try and write these believable three-dimensional characters on either side of the spectrum, because I think that writing anything as believable is really hard. And I'm sure that the Merlin writers really did want the best for Morgana. I mean, I don't think that they 
was setting out to kind of create someone who was two dimensional and who didn't feel genuine. And I, and I do think that they thought what they did was the best thing for her growth. It, it just kind of the execution wasn't, wasn't yeah. really there, unfortunately, yeah. but yeah. I just, I just had another thought that is also um, sort of relevant to, to what we just said is that the whole male writers being unable to write female characters because they're, uh, the experience is also different and you saying that you know you yourself have to remind yourself that you can write these male characters in your stories the same way that you would write a female character mm. because yeah exactly right? you have this aware like okay so basically what I'm saying what I'm trying to say is there are I can't think of an example of a professional female author who has failed to characterize a male character properly mm, like mm, mm. um think of even though think of her who must not be named with the harry potter series yeah absolutely right you never feel like any of the male characters aren't believable mm, mm. Aren't, aren't realistic male characters of any of any age that are in there they are all believable male characters mm. which is because women are much are much more aware of how they are and also how men are, because women have to be yeah. aware of how men are, because that's how they protect themselves yeah, in this world. I think they're also like just more aware of the fact that like their own perception is probably different. Like yeah. women, women will understand that like, oh, I'm probably not seeing this the same way that like a cis man would. So let me like think about that. How would he? And then exactly like they were raised around protecting yeah. themselves. So then they'll be like, okay, this is probably how they do that. Whereas, like, a cis yeah. man would be like, that's probably right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the the example I brought earlier of, like, female fanfic authors making their slash characters, their male characters, much more emotionally mature and, you know, much more like what we would assume a female character to be is maybe in part um subconsciously happening like they don't know that they're doing that they're just projecting onto them but i think that that's also part of the appeal like that's that's part of the reason yeah. why we read fan fiction Absolutely. because we want to have this fantasy yeah. of a man who is aware of his own emotions and able to communicate them that's what we want and the reason why i brought up fanfics particularly because it's like like I don't know the stats on this. I'm sorry, Alex. But like, um, <gasps> I know the vast majority of fic out there is in the romance genre, and of course, a lot of the source material from which people pull from is probably not in a romance genre. I mean, purely a romance genre. Like, there might be romance in there, but it, you know, the the uh, the the people that are being written about either aren't in a relationship with each other in canon or may have never been in a relationship, period. And so not only are we basically making everything up from scratch from the ground up, but we're figuring out, okay, how would this non-real, like this person who is not in a relationship in canon, how would they uh, interact with, with another human being while being in a relationship, while being to a different gender from me and in same-sex relationship on top of that and <laughs> probably being stupid and young. And so I think all of those <laughs> things together, I've definitely kind of read thick. And yeah, again, I think you're right. It is like a wish for fulfillment fantasy in a way because you want to, you love these male characters. So if you're a female reader, you kind of want to be them like in their perfect canon world. But you know, you're not them, obviously. <laughs> you're, you're not a teenage boy. And so you kind of end up like 
I will be. Well, yeah, but you're not a teenager. <laughs> For a start. <laughs> Which makes it just as startling when it happens. You're like, oh, why is this happening again? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, it's like when you read a romance story where, yeah, these like kind of you know dudes who in canon maybe would have reacted completely differently then become all you know lovey-dovey and they use pet names and they kind of are yeah like you said emotionally like ept and it's just like that doesn't that doesn't yeah it's it's lovely don't get me wrong like it's really kind of like mm-hmm. like soothing and it's like an escapism thing but sometimes i do find myself like I try to break out of that. Like when I'm writing like romance plot, which obviously is most of the time, I try to be like, right, is this right for like, yes, a lot of dudes are emotional and they should absolutely be allowed to be emotional. A lot of them are not. And I try to think to myself, right, how can I make them feel human, but still admit mm-hmm. that they're not going to feel the same way that me, Roxanne feels, you know, because that isn't necessarily how most guys react to being in a relationship. Most guys in a relationship are extremely blah, 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 and also like complain about being in a relationship while still wanting one and neglect their partners and have no clue how to talk about things. And so, you know, but then again, that is also different with same sex relationship. You know, a guy in a relationship with a girl uh, is a lot, I think more, I don't want to say neglectful, but a, a bit more kind of maybe taking things for granted than someone who is maybe gay and, you know, being in a relationship and, you know, is probably more of a privilege in a way because you know a long time ago they wouldn't have even been able to be in in a relationship out in the open not that long time ago well you know it in my lifetime they they have been able to but yeah uh so i think again it is so many layers so difficult and i think writing in general is fucking hard but like with kind of just bringing it back to morgana just to kind of maybe end it yeah i think that they they tried their best and they wanted her to be like Anne said in her comment this strong female character but they didn't really understand what it means to be strong because they're dudes <laughs> and that's just how they know and we have a talk back from Anne on our character review of Merlin one of our very earliest episodes and this was actually the first time that Anne commented and introduced themselves but we don't like we already know Anne at this point yeah. <laughs> It's just taken us this long to get around to this comment, but like it was 2017 yes. <laughs> that we that we recorded this episode, and Anne reacted to to the whole thing three years later or almost three years later. Said so this is fun, <laughs> and I think one of the things we were upset about is that Merlin doesn't really use his magic book that he gets in the first season, mm. and Anne has this to say. Merlin maybe doesn't refer to the book as often in the later episodes because he may have just learned them all, as I presume he is studious. Or studious? Is it, no, it's studious. No, uh, studious, I think? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Let's just say he studies a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, might have been. I'm not sure I would assume that Merlin, like, sits down and studies his book a lot like that's not how i necessarily see him as someone i mean he did say i'll study every word but like (laughs) that doesn't mean he will (laughs) that doesn't mean he like i don't think it necessarily means that he sits down every evening and like really studies the book like 
he might be like me and like reads it once and then that's it <laughs> right and then he just looks up things when he needs them yeah that's true also, the book is just kind of, I think, there for aesthetic purposes, to be honest with you. Yeah. And to, like, it's a it's a prop and a plot device to use in, uh, like, a later episode in season one. Like, he uses it in, in Valiant, like, the very next episode, because, you know, we need that callback to the pilots mm. that he has the book. And then he uses it, then it's, uh, it becomes a thing again in... Is it beginning of the end, maybe, when Arthur searches Merlin's chamber? I was about to say chambers, but Merlin only has the one, like, Merlin's yeah. room. Merlin's tiny little storage closet that he lives in. Yeah. yeah I think that's the only time like, to actually have the book. Yeah, like, it comes back, like, a couple of times, but it's not, um, yeah, it's not really a, a major plot thing. No. I mean, a lot of the times when Merlin needs to look up something in a book, he looks it up in Gaius's books. Is <laughs> the thing <laughs> they refer to Gaius's library more often than Merlin refers to his actual book of spells yeah. for anything. I think he uses it in Lancelot as well to enchant, like not in yeah no it is actually called Lancelot isn't it yeah yeah right I think he uses it in that again to figure out the spell for the lance that he uses a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. Sorry. Oh my god. I love it that is that's so... his name. I love like I love that he was named Lance a lot. A lot. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's so stupid. Well, that's the French for you. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, but that doesn't even make sense in French because it only makes sense in English. He lances a lot. It would but, like, have to be I a think... different wouldn't name in French. No, but like I think the thing is that like to French people it would sound like French people of the time, and I'm not trying to diss the French people here, but like this is like American movie makers giving characters names like in different languages that are funny sounding to the languages. <laughs> like if if they name someone a funny name in in German, yeah, I will find that funny because I know what the name actually means. Yeah. But to the Americans, it will just sound german yeah 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 yeah. right and i think that's what happened with lancelot it, like it sounds like a name a knight might have oh my God. and it's it's not a french name because lancelot like it's it's king arthur's court he's supposed to be english or whatever <laughs> equivalent of the area like well welsh no and more english than like british Something, let's say british yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> i don't know his story <laughs> and like you know, it sounds funny to native English speakers because you're like, you like Arthur Lance a lot. Said, and, that, and that's what I love that they did that in Merlin. It's just so yeah. good. Lance. Yeah. But like to, to French people of the time who, prob who presumably didn't know much English because they refused to learn it, I assume. Right. Well, French was well, I mean, French was fa the fashionable language anyway. So yeah. They yeah. they so, were the ones that were like, you can learn our language. So so it's like, yeah, that name sounds reasonably English, of course. Oh, <laughs> I think that's what happened there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, we got we got a little bit off track here with the book. I I'm not sure that Merlin 
really studied the book a lot and that's why he didn't need it i think merlin is just like he looked up three spells in it and then he was like ah you know what i'll wing it next time <laughs> basically <laughs> oh okay so then Anne goes on i'm not sure if morgana in the episode where she screams after seeing Mogos hurt, actually disappears or teleports or runs away. But Mogos definitely can disappear in a whirlwind, like Mary in Fires of Idir Sholas. Also, there probably are seemingly more powerful sorcerers, especially in the first episode, to show how Merlin is naive and untrained in the beginning. I can kind of see Merlin's power getting stronger throughout the seasons, although the show doesn't really focus on that progression. I think the part he really grows powerful is the last two episodes where he meets his dad in the Crystal Cave and has a revelation and immerses as Emerus and strikes down the whole armies with lightning. I mean, that's true about the other sorcerers looking more advanced than Merlin because they are at this point, because Merlin is only just beginning to understand his power and to learn how to focus and harness it. It's just that, to me, it seems that Merlin never appears to get to on their level until like literally the very last episode maybe like sure he can kill an entire army in a heartbeat at the end but he can't and he still can't teleport he's still walking there <laughs> right he's still walking everywhere and like i feel like this should be uh this should be something you like i think teleporting should come before murdering an entire army yeah <laughs> and I think there, like, there are so many things that Merlin should be able to do, in my opinion, like manipulating time, space, and the weather, for example. Like these are things that the legendary Merlin was able to do, and I feel like our Merlin should have learned that. Yeah. Which is why I like this uh, fic by Asalat, Crown of the Summer Court, which it's one of the very few canon fics I actually enjoyed and uh, like read more than once. Because it's where Merlin shows through subtle little things how powerful he is and that he can do all of these things. Mm. So um, I just, I feel like the show dropped the ball on Merlin's magical development, mm. in my opinion. Like just oh, yeah, saying I mean, that he's the most powerful sorcerer every couple of episodes really isn't enough. You have to actually show it. And Link does this um, this article about female characters and strong female characters yeah, yeah, yeah. in particular so like i'm i'm sort of flashing back to that and it's like you show strength just by how many people he can hurt or kill in a single stroke but you can also show strength through other things mm. and we need never see merlin using power like we or maybe not never but we don't really see merlin using his incredible power to do anything other than hurting other people mm -hmm. all the time. Like, sure, it's in protection of Arthur, but, like, Merlin kills people so many times, and it's just, like, that's not the only mark of strength. Mm. It's the one that kids recognize, though. <laughs> it's just, like, oh... Yeah. But that's terrible! I know, I know, and... that That's a whole problem yeah. in itself, I know, and I'm... I'm, I'm I don't really expect a 2008 BBC show like Marlin, to try to subvert this uh, this trope that we've created, or that the that the media has created. But at the same time, I'm just like, I mean, they did as far as showing Marlin 
and we keep coming back to this, but like Merlin creating the butterfly as soon as he gets his yeah. power back. That is such a gentle moment. And it, I mean, that is one of the moments where I feel like that does show his power because he creates life from nothing. Yeah, exactly. And that right? So that power. is powerful. Yeah. But I just wish we would have seen more of that kind of of nurturing, creating power instead of just like, it's basically destruction over and over and over again. Hmm. Except for this very rare moment where Merlin gets to be playful or, or like uses magic, like his incredible magical power to create something beautiful exactly and also that there's a there's a great amount of contradiction because what you said oh we're told he's the greatest sorcerer but then as many times as we're told that we're also told uh this character is more powerful than you and i mean i feel like you know i feel like this could have like, I mean, it was supposed to be the whole before they were famous story. It was supposed to be the small will of the Arthurian legends, yeah. except then they fucked it up. Yeah. And, you know, I could have believed Merlin having the potential to be the most powerful sorcerer and, like, having the most raw energy or, like, raw magical power inside of him, but not being able to access it or control it, yeah. at the very least. Um. And then him learning how to do that over time. And for that, it would have needed for him to learn more advanced spells. It's like literally like a video game where in the beginning you start out with nothing. And then as time goes on, you pick up skills and items mm. and, and, and companions. And once you've played for a couple of hours and then you go back to, to the first level then it's really easy to beat all the monsters on the first level yeah, because exactly. now you have level 10 skills and you go back to level 1. But yeah. like on when you were on level 1, all the level 1 monsters were really hard to beat mm. because you were weaker than them. And like I didn't I don't see that progression for Merlin. Mm. You know, I feel like in the end it still would have been as hard for him to kill the basilisk or like to get that spell right with the basilisk. No, not Basilisk. What am I thinking? The Griffin. Sorry. I don't know why I thought Basilisk. Um, like, I feel like in season five, he still would have had problems with that spell oh, yeah. for the Griffin the same way he had in season one. Yeah, it is very frustrating. And there's really, yeah, there's really no resolution for that in this show. And it's really, it's really annoying. <laughs> but like, I'm just thinking about this now. It would have been really easy to to show how much more he has learned by just giving us in later seasons these little moments where we where he uses a spell that we saw him struggling with in the first season for example like the spell with the that he uses in valiant mm -hmm. where he makes the stone come to life which again that is a lot of power to make something that is stone become a real animal mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so like but he struggled with that he sat up all night trying to figure out this spell and then imagine us seeing him in like season four or five, just using that spell casually. That to me would have shown that he has learned things, that he has figured out stuff and that things that he struggled with in the beginning are now easy because he has practiced and he has learned how to tap into his power. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. Well, I think we're done with this talk back, which means we can 
go to the witch's quickening now. Well, almost now, because first Rox is going to do where you can find us. Oh, why do I have to do it? <laughs> because you do it better than I do. It's more fun when you do it. I'll read the episode summary. I don't have the I don't have the script open, so we'll just see where this goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you would like to contact us and, and have your comment read on the podcast and reacted to, then you need to go over to our website and do that on merlisten.parakaproductions.com. We react to all the comments unless they are just repeated ones. If you're not interested in being featured on the podcast or you just kind of don't care in general, you can contact us at any one of our social media handles. So that will be Melissa on Twitter, Melissa on Tumblr. We have a Discord where the link is in all of our social medias or you can just ask one of us. And we have all sorts of channels there for episode reactions and conversations. So if you're a listener or you're a guest or a lurker, you can come and just enjoy the conversation there. We also have a Melissa Bingo, which you can play along with at home. It's a really fun game because we're very repetitive and, you know, why not just make fun of us? We do it to ourselves, so you can guys do it at home. It's really fun, I promise. We also have a Ko-fi account, which you can donate money to if you wish. All of the proceeds from Ko-fi are currently going to Black Lives Matter charities. So if you would like to support that and also do it through your love of Merlin, <laughs> then you can do that. And finally, we have a email address, which now that I don't have written in front of me, I'm going to try have to remember. <laughs> um, hang on. Merlin, it's dot podcast, right? Yes. podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us some lengthy feedback or you just prefer emailing, you can do that and Alex will send you an email in return. Yes. We're also on iTunes and through iTunes, we're on all the other podcast yes. apps that you can all find on Android devices. Yes. iTunes or any other podcast app. Probably much more user friendly than listening to it on the website in my opinion so if you want yes. to do that then go ahead and uh yeah that's all the places you can find us guys we're pretty much everywhere watching you all the time <laughs> you can't escape us you can't. we are everywhere <laughs> wait i probably shouldn't threaten our listeners oh why not <laughs> <laughs> everybody else is doing it yeah. <laughs> i get threatened all the time by alex Excuse you, you're not. I am, but you know, they'll believe me. You get dragged all the time by me. I don't threaten you. Hmm, I'm sure I could find examples <laughs> if I looked far enough. Oh man. Alright. The witch is quickening. Let me read you the summary from the Merlin wiki and then we'll see how accurate it is. Mordred has aligned himself with the ruthless warlock Alvar, who is determined to destroy Camelot and allow magic to reign again. To fight Uther, however, Alvar must reclaim the crystal of Neotid, which I th still think is a funny, funny name because it's called Neotid. <laughs> a precious, magical relic of the old religion. Very few people can harness its power, but Alvar believes Mordred can use it to further their cause due to his strong magic. The crystal is safely locked up in Uther's vaults, and many have lost their lives trying to reclaim it. Though Alvar has a secret weapon, Morgana's powerful bond with the druid boy. Morgana has always protected Mordred, but will she go as far as turning into a thief and traitor to help him and the charismatic Alvar? Mm. This is not entirely off, I yeah, have to say. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty close to, yeah. to the truth. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this episode first aired on the 5th of December in 2009. There are three female characters with lines. There's Morgana and Gwen, who says like five words, maybe. 
I think it's actually two sentences. Announced the supporting cast member and Miria, who is this banded woman who's actually Alva's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And then there are seven male characters with lines. No, sorry, eight. There are eight male characters with lines. Author Merlin Guys and Uther, of course, as per usual. And then Alva, Mordred, and two knights who don't have a name. Mm -hmm. The dragon shows up. Alvar is obviously our enemy of the week, and all the bandits except Alvar die at the end. Mm -hmm. So, overall impression of this episode, I'll go first because mine is short. Cool. I don't like it much. It's boring. <laughs> An author annoys me more than usual in this one for different reasons than usual. And I don't like anyone in this episode except baby Mordred, Mordred who never did anything wrong. <laughs> Um, I have not watched this episode in full for a very, very long time. Like, I really don't even know how far back I'd have to go into my memory to I lost, figure out. I last watched it in full before we did our Mordred character ah, analysis. Okay. Uh, because there are only like a handful of Mordred-centric episodes. Mm. And I watched all of those in preparation for a Mordred character analysis episode. And that was like two years ago. Yeah. It's been much longer for me. Probably <laughs> since it aired, to be quite honest with you. Um, that is fair. That is well, fair. no, because obviously I've I, I've used a bunch of clips from it loads of times, you know. So I've, so I, I visually, I know it pretty well, but like I haven't sat down to watch it to the point where I genuinely thought Alvar dies in this episode. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. I totally expected him to die. I thought they caught him for some reason. They <laughs> did catch him, but they didn't. No, but no, I mean, at the end, like, you know, I, oh. like, I don't know what I thought, but um, yeah, I mean, which just makes the ending even worse than I remember it. But okay. Anyway, let me get back on track. Um. When I w sat down to watch this this morning, I honestly was I, like, I didn't have any expectations. But now that I've finished it and it's fresh in my mind, I can say with a hand on my heart, this is one of my least favorite episodes of Merlin ever. I am so angry with this episode that I never, I've never felt this before. And it's because, so you know how in anime they do compilation films sometimes, right? Of all the best bits and they just yeah. to kind of catch people up on what's going on and then they might add a couple of extra scenes to the compilation movie the witch's quickening feels to me like a season two compilation movie of morgana everything that happens in this episode that matters we've already seen and heard before every single thing there's nothing new here and it's <laughs> dropped into the season right after sweet dreams Morgana is two different Morganas for the entire episode. She's either meek and vulnerable or she's smirk Ghana, the the prelude to, uh, which makes yeah. no sense. Like she kind of flip-flops in between the two. Um, the ending is one of the worst endings that I've seen in Merlin by far because it makes no sense and Alvar never comes back even though he's al alive and out there somewhere. So Yeah, I mean they put him they they put him on a bus in case they wanted to bring him back. But then they didn't. Yeah. Like ever. Um the ending is complete 
bullshit. The fact that Uther clearly knows Morgana did it. The fact that he has no intention of doing anything about it. <laughs> the fact that it's just kind of left there. That everybody know, like that everyone who matters, which is guys Uther and Merlin, all know that Morgana is dangerous, and they just allow this. <laughs> just kind of what it's just, no uh, yeah. Arthur actually doesn't know it. yeah no so the main author doesn't yeah. author is the one who doesn't have a clue about this uh, like, but, like Gaius but, no but like Gaius Merlin and Uther know it Uther knows it because of Morgana's great declaration yeah. and Gaius knows it because Merlin explained every like Merlin shares everything with yeah. him him that he knows so yeah. obviously they know yeah and Uther knows and Arthur is just left in the dark as per usual Arthur yeah. never knows anything no, he's he Jon Snow he's but yeah essentially um but the thing for me that is the most offensive part of this episode is and I again completely forgot about this because it's been so long since I've seen it and I always used to think oh this was a good kind of climactic moment for Morgana's character I I, I forgot that this is the episode in which Morgana supposedly turns evil and she has nothing to do with that. Like, she has nothing to do with her decision to turn evil. She's, um, her her room is essentially just broken into by this random guy and um, she's manipulated. There's one moment in the episode, well no, there's actually two moments in this episode where Morgana shows some agency. Mm. It's when she decides to go and warn the camp yeah. that Arthur and his men are coming. Yeah. And it's when she goes to free Alvar. Yeah. Those are the only two times that she shows some agency and it only comes on the heels of Alvar manipulating yeah. her before. Yeah. And like honestly, the to kill the king is a better setup for evil Morgana than this one. Oh like, yeah so much better like you you know not only is it actually involving Gwen in the story and you know having Morgana do something from a place of actual empathy for someone she knows you know but it's also personal you know it, it actually really, means something yeah I really wish now that we're talking about this I really wish that to kill the king would have come in like in this spot mm. Like, if they had put it here in season two, episode 11, right? And then in done something else in season one where Morgana had a moment of, like, it could have... You know what? It, no, because uh, she meets Mordred the second time in early season two. Yeah. But, like, so imagine putting The Nightmare Begins at the end of season one instead of To Kill the King. Yeah. And then instead of... Nightmare Begins in season two, he put uh, this episode, which is quickening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without Morgana disowning Uther at the end. Yeah, without all that. Because that's too dramatic, but still her freeing Alvar. Yeah. And then, ooh, Alvar coming back instead of that random dude who showed up in... To to Kill the King, yeah. To Kill the King. So that would have made much more sense because it's sort of like it kind of makes sense for Morgana to have like a tipping point where she's like, this has just been too much with Uther, mm-hmm. like where she disowns him. Like, I feel like her disowning him at the end of season two or like now nothing that wrong. works <laughs> that that that, that you feel, I feel like that works, but I don't like it that it comes at the end of this episode. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I do like how To Kill the King worked out in the end. 
But it would have been a much stronger motive for her to go evil so much stronger. over this than over what happened in. And that's what, you know, and like you, I actually love the ending to To Kill the King. And I and I wouldn't want to lose that because I do like the fact that it's more mm. sad that they end up you kind could... of reuniting, you know. And you could have put it in a different spot and kind of changed things around. But it's just... Everything about this is stupid. You know, even the fact that the witch finder isn't utilized in this um, Morgana and Uther journey, the fact that Morgana never finds out that Uther was wrong about Gaius, like, that could have been utilized. You know, so many things in season two could have been utilized to do with Morgana's magic and her tension between, you know, her and Uther. They could have led up to this moment. You know, she was in the witch's yeah. um, it's She was in the witch finder. She did have... Um, moments in that that could have you know led her to go oh Uther really is a bad person TM you know kind of thing when like you know say Gaius told her or maybe Merlin told her what happened like I don't know you know I don't write the show but it's like I just (laughs) this episode does nothing for Morgana as a character she has not had an episode about her since the nightmare begins at this point she and Uther have not had conflict since to kill the king so they literally haven't had a fight or a problem with each other for an entire season at this point and so for her to um say to to hell with camelot or at least to hell with uther uh, on the back of this one dude now look don't get me wrong i do admit that morgana is low-hanging fruit at this point in the series because she is very vulnerable she is an extremely easy target for people to manipulate and to take advantage of and i don't um doubt for a second that it was easy for alva to you know be like oh listen to me i you know i can protect you i'm i'm the person you should be listening to like that that makes complete sense what i just don't think makes sense is then to use that fake relationship because that is what it is it's a lie using that lie to then spur morgana's agency and story because that that just feels cheap to me like i get her falling for it i don't get this why this should be her catalyst that's not fair on her you know like she was played and that's basically why she yeah it's just mm. like where's more goes and all of this like you know it's just kind of Morgoes is supposed to be a part of Morgana's journey. She, you know, it's like there are two different journeys for Morgana, right? There's the one that involves Morgoes, and then there's the one that involves Mordred. And they're kind mm-hmm. of they never really intersect, which I don't I I don't know why they don't when they're in the same season. It's just a mess. It's a huge mess. And like everything in this episode we have already heard before there are like literal like lines of dialogue that i'm just like why am i being told this i know this already (laughs) you know things about morgana and mordred being linked magic isn't bad magic is something that is a part of you i don't want to be lonely anymore i want to be myself you know um Uther has hunted uh, people with magic for years. Like we know all of this. Why is it taking us forty-two minutes to do this? I'm just very upset. But I mean, you know, what's new? It's Merlin. But yeah, um, there are a couple of things in this episode I liked, and we'll get to those. There are a couple of things that I liked. Visually, I think this episode is really great. Some of the imagery with like Mordred and Morgana and Merlin, like that trio, I really like. But I mean, 
it's just kind of trash, really, isn't it? All of it. A dumpster fire of an episode. It's so bad. I, I don't know how I ever thought this was a decent episode. This just goes to prove, guys, watch the canon. Because sometimes we get wrapped up in like our own perceptions of what we think happened, and it's often not true. Let's start with a scene by scene. Yeah, I've got uh, the the one with the bandits. <laughs> I just call it the one in the woods, and it's just like someone lying unconscious on the road is like the oldest chick in the book. <laughs> but like I, you know what? It works for this night because he's a terrible night. He likes. <laughs> He looks super afraid. He looks like he peed his britches, right? And then he's like, Alva is threatening him. And he's like, a knight of Camelot does not beg. And I'm like, are you sure? Because you look really ready to beg for your life. I quite liked that moment, though, because it kind of gave me a, a bit more insight into, you know, the kind of knights that Arthur is rearing. You know, yeah, of course he's scared, but he's still you know, went out brave in the end, I think, which I don't know. I quite, I quite okay. liked that, um, you know, that, that like he didn't end up being kind of a sniveling dog. Um, but yeah, I, I, see, like, I, I suppose that's, joke. that's fair, but it's just like, it just, he was like panting in fear and like looking ter- like super Wouldn't afraid. you? <laughs> I'd be pretty. Yeah, scared. but I'm not a trained knight of Camelot. <laughs> It's Alvar and his band of renegades, though. <laughs> like, scary. but like, it's just. But why others? I but I don't why? understand how all of these knights and 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 guards are so useless. Because I mean, <laughs> come on, someone lying on the road unconscious. It's just really. It's just the only way it could have been more cliche is if it had been Emiria lying there and not Alvar. It's just. <laughs> Oh, woe is me. I'm a poor maiden and I have been hurried by bad people. Oh, no. Okay, but the high point of this this scene is baby Asa taking off his hood and like smiling at the camera. I'm just like, oh, there's my child. I actually skipped a bunch of like stupid moments in between of like... uh, them arriving There's a, a lot and just sort the of whole part. The whole part after the credits is really hard to do scene by scene because it's like just one big thing until they are in Morgana's chains. Yeah. You can't really uh, pick it apart. I have like I have a few little things like mm-hmm. when they when Alvar and his guys enter uh, Camelot, like the guards at the gate, they check what's on the carriage, but they don't remember which knights left on an errand, which I can like. Presumably, many knights leave on errands, mm. but like, and I, I wouldn't expect them to know all of the knights that work in Camelot. But at the same time, I'm just like, <laughs> you really don't realize that this guy doesn't work for you. I mean, just... dark as well, to be fair, and rainy. Yeah, and I mean, I can understand it with the other bandits that are on horses because they are all wearing helmets. They're like properly disguised. Yeah. But it's not but not Alvar. <laughs> not so Alvar. <laughs> and then yeah, so Mordred is doing his mind talking thing and guides Alvar through the castle and um and I like this little moment when Merlin wakes up and responds to it because he can hear it too. And he tries to concentrate on the voice and then the subtitles on the DVD say voices in different languages. Mm. Which at first I like because I wanted to think that this is 
trying to tell us that Merlin concentrates hard enough and opens that connection and that he can hear druids from all over the world. Mm. However, I can't really trust the subtitles on this because later in the episodes, when he does it again to figure out which way to go at the fork of the road, like which way to the to the camp, um, it's author shouting back Merlin in the background and the subtitles say man shouting. <laughs> And I'm just like, you know fully well that this is author who's shouting. <laughs> so I don't really trust the subtitles after all, unfortunately. We shall now yeah. refer to him as man shouting for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there's this weird chase through the castle. And like, I feel like it would have been easier for Mordred to sneak in by himself after a certain point. Because he's small and can hide in shadows much more easily. Yeah, but, but it's like... also a bit more conspicuous if a child is just running around, isn't it? Like, surely someone will stop him and go, hey, where's your parents? in the middle of the night what are you doing right instead a random person dressed as a knight <laughs> who nobody knows from like not none of the other guards or knights have ever seen this guy before but because he's wearing uh the right cloak that's okay <laughs> uh, i guess a cloak cloak is all you need <laughs> all right um. then there's then there's author who shows up to because warning bells or whatever yeah why is he awake and dressed that's what i want to know because merlin was asleep i mean maybe arthur has been i don't know <laughs> maybe, we're, we're I mean, so tired at this point which is like <laughs> i don't care and then, like he grabs merlin by the throat and chokes him for a good 10 seconds before he lets go with an oh sorry yeah like he's just so used to getting like bandits that way he's like oh hang on no it's merlin and then, like, yeah, and like the way he says it, it implies because he's Merlin is clearly trying to tell him something, and Arthur keeps choking him, and then he's he lets him down and says, "Oh, sorry." And it like, and it sounds like I didn't realize at first you can't talk with someone crushing your windpipe, but yeah, of course that makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> like, Imagine then, how many people he's killed because they're trying to say I'm innocent. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then Merlin says Morgana's chambers, and Arthur looks genuinely worried, and I like that. Hmm. I like that he's like, he, it takes him a moment to process what hmm. Merlin said, because he's not spurring interaction this, the exact moment Merlin says Morgana's chambers. Hmm. Like, he's still looking at him for a few seconds yeah. before it actually dawns on him, yeah. and then he runs off. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And then we're in and Morgana's in, chambers. And, yeah, and then we're in Morgana's chambers, which is the, the one that I've called the one where mother and son reunite. Because that's Aww. kind of what they're trying to do with it, which is really sweet. Um, And I love that Morgana and Gwen were cut from the same cloth of people that are definitely uh, fooled by the sign, which is, yes, my lady. Because um, Alvar, <laughs> <laughs> that, the Alvar pulled a lance a lot there. <laughs> went straight in with the yes, my lady. Um, yeah. Except that Morgana is an actual lady. Also, just, oh, everything about this pisses me off. Like, Morgana, I thought she was smart. You know, he's like, I found the boy wandering in the woods. What? How? No, you didn't. <laughs> like, what on earth? I mean, he might have. Because Mordred was, like, the druids he was with were all murdered by Arthur. All of them, were they? I thought surely someone would have survived, no? I assumed they all died, oh, okay. and and even if they didn't, Mordred had to run off by himself. Mm -hmm. Like he did run off by himself after like using the weird push spell magic to take out the guards mm -hmm. that were coming for him, and then he ran off. Yeah. So 
I mean, I, I believe that part. Okay. I just don't believe anything else Elba says. Yeah, like, he's got this, um, like, whole bit where he's talking about how, oh, we've been persecuted and magic is not evil, blah, blah, blah. And, like, this is the kind of stuff I'm saying. Like, I didn't even write the dialogue down because we've heard it before. No, but what he says is magic. It's not a crime. That's the one. It is a gift. <sighs> and that's just, like... This gives us the, the prelude to just Alvar's terrible acting and like, or not even just acting, but just like Alvar doing all the dramatic pauses all the time. He does it at the end when Uther asks him, uh, did you act alone in this? And he says, I acted. And then five minutes later. <laughs> when alone. he's already dead. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. Alvar loves the dramatic pauses. It's annoying. Oh, he's just... I just don't like all this Stop repeating yourself BBC's Merlin It's just getting really really old Um, And also like You know I know Mordred's told him That Morgana's on their side He's got no reason to believe a little kid He's risking a hell of a lot Breaking into A woman's chambers In the middle of the night and then talking about magic and admitting he's got magic when he has no idea what she's going to do. You know, how does he know that since the last time she saw Mordred, she's not been converted, you know, back into Uther's fanatic hatred of magic? What? You know, he's an idiot. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's just, yeah. Which is, again, why Mordred shouldn't have gone by himself. Yeah, exactly. It's really risky. It's really stupid. I really don't like it. <laughs> Um, there's a little moment, um, in between, like, cause it's like a scene that's interspersed with Mel and Arthur running to Morgana's chambers. And the only reason I bring this up is because there's a really sweet moment where Arthur praises Merlin and he looks really happy about it. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, this, but it's the only time he does it in this episode. Literally the only time he says something nice to Merlin in this entire yeah, episode. It's, yeah. Um, where he's like, hey, Merlin, you showed some initiative and uh, you you saw something and you acted on it. And like trusting Merlin, like he's trusting Merlin mm. in this moment. And it all goes to shit five minutes later. Yeah, there's another um, moment at the end. It's a bit more subtle, but I'll get to that then. Um, although I don't know if it's like meant to be a nice moment or if it's just stupid on the writer's part. But, um, the, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really sweet moment. Um, but, but to look. To Arthur's credit in this episode, um, and I don't like the way that he speaks to Merlin, but the thing about it is that I think we often forget that we are in Merlin's POV. And from Arthur's point of view, you know, Merlin's just literally fucking up. You know, he's letting people into his room. He's yeah, keys, I, he's, you know. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with uh, Arthur being angry at Merlin later on when the keys have been stolen. Yeah. And Merlin, and like Arthur, like, uh, saying angry things to Merlin then. I'm fine with that part. There are other problems I have, and we'll get to that yeah. in a moment when we get, or, like, or in general when we get to these yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Cs. Um, are we ready for the one where Arthur kicks in the door? Uh, yeah, all I was just going to say is that Morgana is an idiot for um, for buying any of this, and she continues to be an idiot throughout the entire episode. That's basically all I was going to yeah. say. But yeah, yeah. Um, so like, yeah, and then Arthur kicks in the door to Morgana's chambers and storms in and Morgana, who, thanks to Mordred, figured out that someone was coming, is back in bed and yells at Arthur. 
And like there's this little moment where Merlin, where we see Merlin's face, and I wonder if he's flashing back to beginning of the end, mm-hmm. where Morgana used a similar tactic to keep Arthur from searching a room for the exact same reason yeah. because Woodard was there yeah. and she didn't want him to find him. But like back then, she was being playful and goading him, mm-hmm. and this time she's being like indignant and accusing him. But the effect on Arthur is basically the same in that he doesn't search a chamber. So stupid. Oh, and like Morgana is clearly hiding something. You know what I mean? Like, she clear, yeah. And I mean, I'll I'll have a whole wrap up of Arthur's behavior in this episode near the end as well. Mm-hmm. And then they leave the room again, and Arthur. And this is where I'm like, Arthur is like this reaction of Arthur to Merlin. This is not justified in my opinion because. Merlin, all Merlin said is that he saw them going to Morgana's room or going into Morgana's room and that he's sure that this is where they went. Mm-hmm. And instead of Arthur figuring, I mean, Morgana says, don't you think I'd know if there was someone in my room? I'm just like, no, maybe you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> just like, someone could have snuck in your room. You don't know. Yeah. Like, they could have used, you know, magic to sneak in your room without you realizing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but Arthur, instead of, like, instead of using his critical thinking that he usually has in battle situations, like in high-stakes situations like this, he just lashes out over his own wounded pride mm-hmm. against Merlin, as per usual. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm so tired of this. I'm really so tired of this. Yeah, it's very valiant. Like, and I... I don't like it, but I understand it because, you know, we are only in season two at this point. Arthur is still pretty childish in a lot of ways and he's still very prideful in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, his pride can, you know, that that is his downfall. I mean, his pride is what got him into trouble in his father's son in season four. You know, he's it's it's a real flaw of his. And he's in the room with a bunch of guards in front of Morgana, you know, as well, uh, you know, his men. And, you know, he's basically been made to look like a complete fool. And um, I'm not I'm not surprised that he uh, that he acts this way. You know, he he's got he, you know, he's come a long way. He doesn't fire Merlin this time, <laughs> which I guess is fair. Enough. It's character development. I don't know. It's not fair <laughs> and, like, th- and this line actually really um, hurts. And I've actually used it in a bunch of like angsty fan videos where he just yells at him, tells him that the best thing he does is nothing. And it's just really painful to to watch um but yeah arthur unfortunately is actually really stupid in this entire episode like it's not just this one scene he basically Mm -hmm. like merlin gives him information that is helpful to solving all of this several times and arthur just completely ignores him and just exactly chooses the dumbest explanation there's a there's a bit later where they're by the campfire where he does the same thing and i'm just like i've got several instances i've uh, that's what i was going to do at the end like wrap it all up and like he did it at that point, he did it at that point, and he did it at that point. I'm just like, that's not the author that I'm expecting. Like, author isn't the smartest person on the planet, right? But he is supposedly good at doing battle and thinking strategically, specifically in battle and combat yeah. situations. And he does none of it, mm. none of it in this entire episode. And I'm just like, author. What good are you if you're not thinking? He's a tool for the plot in this episode, and that's literally yes. it. Like, and even Merlin's is is an idiot because if because if that were me standing outside the door, I would have motioned to Arthur, wait, wait, 
and I would have pretended to walk away and then I would have got him to listen at the door because they start talking as soon as they think it's clear. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not smart. Like, I can figure this out. Just, you know, if someone's hiding in there, obviously they're not going to show themselves when there's guards at the door. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that it probably was Mordred sensing at least Merlin coming. Mm -hmm. So maybe they would have waited for a while because Mordred could sense that there were people. Like, he could sense that there were footsteps coming. That's true. And that shot. So maybe that wouldn't have worked, but it still would have been good to see them try that tactic at the very least. Why try? Or Arthur searching Morgana's chambers because. (laughs) He has an eyewitness account of someone saying, like someone he usually trusts, saying that there is a chance that people are trying to infiltrate Morgana's chambers. And maybe they succeeded without Morgana realizing, or maybe they didn't, but it's better safe to search the chambers rather than face the wrath of Uther once Morgana has been harmed. And Morgana has a history of lying. (laughs) And Arthur knows this. Yeah. So it's just ridiculous, but the um, but I do love the shot of Merlin um and Mordred on opposite sides. Yeah, of the door. at the door. Yeah, that's so a actually good. Nice. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of really cool shots like that, and like oh, and also I did forget to mention, but as Merlin's running around the castle and the whole like Colin's like thinking acting is really cool, like where he's trying to like hear the voices and like be led by them. I love that. And I love the sound effects as well. Like All of the sound design in this episode, like where he's listening in, I think is much improved already since the last season. I think mm-hmm. it's really cool. But um, yeah, so uh, I've put the one where Morgana continues to be uh, led down the garden path, <laughs> which is precisely what uh, what happens here. Morgana goes into uh, Arthur's room and steals keys. And then Merlin catches her in the room, come like moving away from the chest of drawers where Merlin knows Arthur keeps his keys. Mm-hmm. And, like, he clearly doesn't trust her. That's why he's asking the questions like, what are you doing here? Oh, I wanted to talk to to Arthur. He's training. Oh, you're right. He trains every day at the same time. Mm. Like, you must know this. Oh. Oh, silly me. Morgana goes, right? Yeah. And just like, is Merlin genuinely buying this? No. Or does he think that she was, like, bewitched to do something, even though he doesn't know what it is? He's willfully ignorant, and he knows. This is the, this is what I hate, is he knows. She's holding the keys in her hand. She's not yeah. holding. Yeah, and they're, and they're like, they're, they're big keys. It's not like she can hide them in her hand. Like, they, they, they protrude from the sides of her fist. And it's like, do like you see you now the anger. Like, do you see why I'm getting? Angry? Yeah, no. Like you can even like when she walks away, you can still hear them jangling in her hands. There's a there's a little sound effect where you can hear the keys jangling. I'm like Merlin, please. I mean, unless he's just like I don't know what to do about this, which I could pro- possibly buy. It's just so stupid. Um, yeah, it's all. And just- then, yeah. and then Morgana decides. To put on a sparkly white dress yeah. <laughs> to go into the vaults to steal something. And it's the I wear this all the time dress. Mm-hmm. 
it's the one she wore to Uther's wedding yeah. in Beauty and the Beast. And she and then she wore it to the tournament in Sweet Dreams. Yeah. And she's like literally wearing it for any occasion now. <laughs> Including stealing a crystal. Yeah. Because of course. Then there's this pointless scene of the thick soup. Yeah. I mean it's um, I mean it's filler and we have to see them running to the crystal to the vault. <laughs> yeah but like why did morgana not lock the vault door again she has the key yeah, because the plot must advance somehow and i've got that written down too she just leaves it open for the guards to find and then arthur knows the inventory of the vault by heart apparently now and that's what's using up most of his brain space that isn't used for fighting strategies and coming up with new cruel insults to merlin but like Apparently, he's so intent on memorizing the vault's inventory that he's forgetting all his battle strategies yeah. and critical thinking. But what I do like is that he that Arthur finally addresses the fact that his chambers should be locked at all times when Arthur isn't in them. <laughs> but like the thing is, is that obviously Merlin technically didn't technically didn't do anything wrong because he was in the chambers, you know. So he was supervising. No, I'm assuming I'm assuming that he wasn't in them. I'm assuming that he had stepped out to get something or take something down to the laundresses or whatever oh. so he wasn't in the chambers like that's what i'm assuming right, yeah, he wasn't yeah, in the yeah, chamber right. when morgana entered it because otherwise he would have like heard the door mm, opening yeah, 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 and yeah. gone to investigate yeah. so he wasn't in the chambers when morgana entered them and he should have locked them but he was probably thinking oh i'll just be five minutes down to the laundresses mm. or whatever wherever he went and of course, that's exactly when any person who wants to steal something would use the opportunity to sneak into Arthur's room, which is why he should be locking the doors every time he or Arthur isn't in the chambers. <sighs> yeah. This was, and I, I agree with Arthur, this was irresponsible behavior from Merlin yeah. in this, okay, on this occasion. I love that. And he's done it. <laughs> Arthur's just like, like, yes, he is angry, but he's not really, like, angry. He's just kind of like moaning he's like just complaining like whose job is it to make sure and then he just walks away and Merlin well, doesn't give a fuck he, he's like sorry that's because that's because Arthur already knows that he has to stand before Uther yeah. and explain this to him uh, yeah. which is the exact yeah. next scene and speaking of Uther yeah and this cut is actually really good like Merlin goes sorry and then we just hear Uther going you're sorry and then we have Arthur and it's so cool I really like that kind of mm -hmm. thing um and I really like this because for all of Arthur's bad behavior in this episode you know he's basically being used as a plot tool and he's basically just um irritated because of Merlin's in incompetence but when the chips are down when the chips are actually down he takes the blame and he does it without um Merlin asking him to and he doesn't bring it yeah. up until Merlin does because it's Merlin that afterwards says oh thank you and and then Arthur has a bit of a grumble at him but Arthur doesn't say oh I told you so or oh see see what I did for you like he just does it because he thinks it's the right thing to do and that kind of makes yeah. me happy I mean yeah and that's yeah I like that one that moment as well and then Arthur being angry with Merlin afterwards and just like being, you're gonna help me find this crystal and you pray, you better pray we do. Yeah. Um, all of that. I I absolutely agree with his anger. Now, like I said, I disagree with how Arthur treated Merlin. Yeah. Earlier yeah. in the night. Yeah. But I do agree with how he treats him now because Merlin has been acting irresponsibly yeah. by leaving the doors unlocked, and this is 
a result of that. Yeah. So <laughs> an author already an author did protect him without being asked, just because it was the right thing to do. It was the the kind thing to do. Mm. And imagine uh, what Uther would have done if he'd found out it was Merlin. <laughs> then again, maybe he just would have done nothing i don't really know like if uther has merlin on his radar if he really cares what merlin does but um there's this there's a line from uther i don't know if you clocked onto this but where um they're talking about the crystal and uh, arthur asks if it's important or something and uther has this entire speech and then he ends it with whatever it is it's important to them yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. he doesn't I mean, sometimes... have a clue no. what he's doing no, he he does. He has no idea what this crystal is, what it does, but clearly it's important to the magic users, and that's why he wanted them not to have sorcery. It. Yes, <laughs> it's just because it's it's literally like I don't want you to have this because you want you to have this. <laughs> I love Uther so much. <laughs> like I didn't even really want this crystal, but seeing as you want it, it's mine. <laughs> But it's just yeah, how like he 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 talks like he knows what he's talking about. It's like da, 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 da. and and whatever it is, it's important to them. <laughs> it's like he, he's trying to act like he knows what he's saying. He when actually what's going on inside. Like if like if we could see the inside out people in his head, they'd be going, "Oh shit, we weren't expecting this question. I have no idea what this crystal <laughs> does or why it's important." <laughs> Which is what I always imagine Uther to be like in his head. He's like, "Oh shit, I." I wasn't expecting this. Come up with something <laughs> quick. So, something that sounds cool. And my Anthony head voice. Oh my god. Um, um, but the scene, like, uh, when they're leaving the council chambers and Arthur is like, oh, um, what are you thanking me for? Lying to my father to save your worthless hide. And he goes, if you ever put me in that position again, I'll hand you over to my father myself. And I remember when this first came out and there was a lot of um meta about whether or not this was trying to well obviously a it was trying to foreshadow something to do with the magic reveal you know which is again why we all thought it was coming in the relative future (laughs) because there was just so much of this kind of stuff being put into the show but um more more specifically um this was actually headcanoned by a lot of people that arthur knew about Merlin's magic at this point and he was kind of trying to say to him in a you know in like a roundabout way I know what you are don't ever put me in a position where I have to choose between you and my father and it's kind of interesting when you look at it from that perspective isn't it okay but like I can believe this in other contexts I can't I cannot believe it in the context of this episode Mm. because if Arthur knew that Merlin has magic he would have believed him more that there was someone in Morgana's chambers and he would have actually acted on it more Yeah, because he would have assumed that Merlin came by this information via magic because he would probably flash back to this moment when Merlin was trying to figure out how to come up with an explanation as to why he knows they went to Morgana's chambers in the first place. Mm. Um, and I think Arthur would have then clocked on and been like, oh, yeah, like in his head. He was like, oh, yeah, Merlin has magic. He probably figured it out that way. I should probably really search Morgana's chambers. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, if you, like, if you only have this 
moment where Arthur like warns Merlin not to ever put him in this situation like that again. I can believe it that he might have known, but not if you look at the context of the entire episode. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think you're right sense. about that. It's really interesting though, isn't it? Because I sometimes because I'm so used to how the show ended now, you know, that Arthur never knew and this is kind of just how it was, that I I always think like what would an alternative ending to Merlin have been if Arthur really did know all along? Like, do you think it would have been better, the same? Like, I don't really know. I, I mean, I, I, I do love their resolution as it was. Um, but there are moments like this one where kind of it a puts a completely different spin on Arthur's character. If that would have been the case, because as we've said, he, you know, he's not the brightest bulb in the box is he so it makes him look a little bit more with it um but also mm. it kind of um creates this mystery around his character where it's like well all those moments that he's been keeping it to himself because we're used to merlin keeping things from arthur right and it's kind of like imagine if it had been we we've been in merlin's pov this entire time and we're used to Merlin keeping stuff from Arthur. And then when it was revealed that Arthur might have known all along, it's like, well, now there's this entire subplot of Merlin where Arthur's been keeping things from the audience as well as Merlin that we never knew he was kind of angsting in private as well about this. And that would have been quite cool, I think, too. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't meant to be. But, I mean, did you... Because I know... I can't remember if we've had this conversation before, but did you ever have a preference as to whether you wanted Arthur to know or whether you wanted it to be... a a complete shock um i don't think i've ever had a preference like i liked the headcanon that arthur knew all along and was just waiting for mullen to yeah tell him but i really don't care either way yeah to be quite honest yeah right i have a bunch of scenes that i titled but didn't put down any notes but there is like Gaius in between who explains that he doesn't know what the crystal of Neotid is. Mm. And then the one with the dragon who does explain what the crystal yeah, of Neotid is and then laughs at Merlin. Yeah, which is a point. Like, again, this is just, I don't know if John Hurt just needed his hours or something. I don't know. Because, like, I don't know why Merlin still needs it explaining that Mordred is dangerous, that Mordred is after Arthur, that Mordred is going to be teaming up with Morgana. This is stuff that we've been told in the beginning of the end. This is stuff that we've been told in The Nightmare Begins. And again, this is basically Merlin the compilation movie. Um, that is the witch's quickening. It's a complete waste of time. And then the one thing that I do have is just before she leaves, um, there's yeah. a scene with Gwen, right? Yeah, yeah. And can someone explain this to me? I don't. Um, I really don't understand the tone of this scene. I don't understand Morgana's snappiness. Again, this is what I'm saying. This is like two Morganas living in one. Um, in this in this episode because she's got no re like she's she's got no issue with Gwen they've been, you know they've what <laughs> like why is she doing this and like Morgana is trying not to look suspicious and yet she's looking even more suspicious because she snaps at Gwen because that's not that's not something she does normally yeah and it's but it also like it just doesn't make any sense for her to lose her patience with Gwen like I know that 
when she comes back from Morgos, she's kind of a completely different person and stuff like that. But we've seen Morgana hiding stuff before. She's been hiding stuff in To Kill the King. She's been hiding stuff in the beginning of the end and whatever. I've never seen her speak to Gwen like this. Like, there's no reason for her. And also, the thing is, is that she snaps at Gwen because Gwen's taking too long to turn down the bed, even though she says it will only take a moment. And then after Gwen leaves, she proceeds to just stare at the crystal. Like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe she's really time sensitive. And she said she'd meet Alvar at like a particular time. But she's not in a rush to go when Gwen leaves the room. She just sits there. And so for me, this kind of line is literally only put there to show us that Morgana's turning bad because she was mean. And that's to Gwen. Yeah. I'm... She was mean to Gwen. Yeah. She's mean, like, snappy with other people all the time. She's not mean or snappy with exactly. Gwen. So it's meant to, like, show us how she's changing, but it doesn't make any sense because, yeah, we've not seen her. You know, like, because you want to fight for people's freedom, that doesn't change your personality <laughs> like it doesn't make you a dickhead to people that you really love and that's the problem with season three as well like she basically starts to hate Gwen um this is way before she even has her vision right so I'm just like ah. mm -hmm. stupid and I mean look at least they foreshadowed it early I guess that's the one thing but it because it starts in this episode it just has no place here and like I would have at least preferred it if um they'd had a bit of tension like you know imagine if um you know there had been some kind of tete-a-tete -tete, like between them earlier in the season where they disagree about something to do with magic right because like you said mm -hmm. Gwen has reason to hate magic right and so what if you know during the Witchfinder episode or something there had been a scene where Gwen says something a bit um controversial you know about magic users because she's had like you know not like anything cruel but just something where you know she kind of maybe doesn't sound like she's on Morgana's side and Morgana is like oh I'm a bit I'm a bit suspicious of that and so then in this episode when she got you know she's going to sneak out to help a magic user she's feeling tense around Gwen because Gwen might mm -hmm. tell Uther or Gwen might get upset and that's why she ends up snapping because she's you know kind of put on edge by her by her presence but, you know, just having it like this there when they've been getting on like a house on fire for the whole season is completely pointless. But yeah. yeah. And then Morgana sneaks out and I'm just like... Not only does she manage to leave the castle in the middle of the night, which is day for night, but never mind that. She also got a horse saddled and leaves the castle on horseback, which is harder to do, like... When you're on foot, you can sneak out through a side door, maybe. But when you're on horseback, you have to go through the gate. And no one is stopping her or telling Uther? Sure, that makes sense. <sighs> Nothing makes sense. <laughs> People are just, like, they're getting caught when it's convenient and they're being able to sneak out when it's... But, okay, maybe if they saw it was more... You know, because I, I assume they're only really told to alarm people for suspicious activity right so if they can see it's Morgana maybe they're just like alright she's just okay but she is but it's Morgana leaving the castle during the night by herself don't they think that something might happen to her I mean there are bandits on the road yeah and then she is gone for the whole day because she rides through the night and when she reaches the renegade camp it's morning 
And then she's she's there for like half a day before she no, rides she back. Said, no, no, she says at the camp, which obviously the time doesn't really align with this because you know it's quite light out. But she does say to Alva, "I have to go. The castle is going to be waking soon." So I think her plan was to come back before people were waking up. But it's, it's already daylight already <laughs> when she's there. Like the castle wakes up at dawn. You do realize this, right? I don't think that the creators knew what time servants wake up they don't get to sleep in <laughs> they just they never see downton happy <laughs> no, not. but yeah what i like in this in this scene and the camp is that after morgana has gone and mordred bounds up to him and is like where's morgana and avar is like oh she had to leave i feel like this scene really illustrate like i can't really tell you why but i feel like this shows us that Alvar is using Mordred as much as he's using Morgana. But like, Mordred still is a naive child at this point. Sure, he yeah. has seen some terrible things already, but he still, like, he still believes that these bandits are nice to him because they want to be nice to him, not because they're using him. And so, you know, he's just, he's just very literally childlike in this in this scene and he adores he adores Morgana and he thinks that Alvar and the bandits are his friends and he's just he's just a baby he's just a baby who did nothing wrong I mean true and then he is also the spawn of the devil who uh, stuck two spears into the sides of gods um, that was self-defense yeah it was but he still did it in cult with no remorse (laughs) see i don't this is gonna sound terrible but like i don't mind that he killed the guards Mm. or like the soldiers who came after him because it was self-defense what i do mind is the creepy smile he has on his face well that's what i'm saying he doesn't see where he's like it's like that that's the problem i have with it it's just like baby you just killed two people you must realize that and you're not even shocked by buy it you you enjoy doing that that's the problem i have with yeah this. i mean i have thoughts when we get to that bit but um this scene oh. with uh, morgana and alvar at the camp i like the fact that we do have a glimpse of morgana feeling conflicted about innocent people being um killed essentially which is what alvar is considered you know he's insinuating he's going to basically bring camelot uh to the ground and morgana's like everyone and he's like yes everyone and this is again like at this point i understand feeling lonely and vulnerable and helpless you know that's why i support the lady of the lake episode and merlin agreeing to run away with freya i understand merlin and morgana's loneliness and isolation i really do but at this point something should have clicked in her brain that should have overwritten that and should have gone no way this is dangerous he might kill my friends and again the fact that this is a romance is just like why again i'm not against morgana having a romance i want her to have a romance with someone that matters and for it to actually be real that would have been fine by me you know i think it would have you know maybe added to her narrative a bit you know because she she doesn't she doesn't really actually can maybe not because the whole point is that she's kind of isolated and the only person she connects to is more goes and obviously mordred but this isn't even real like that's what really makes me so angry about all of it morgana needed a freya because for yeah, Melan, it was I, like that was like morgana needed the equivalent of freya i said that morgana should have 
saved Freya from the. Oh yeah, from we agreed video. on that. And I mean, I would have been that. fine if it had not even been like a sapphic thing. Like if it had just been a friendship. Like you know, they were you know it's Merlin. They wouldn't have gone down that road. But even for her to meet her and Gal befriend pals. her, yeah, uh, and just befriend her, it would have. Um, I think it would have been really, really, yeah, really good. I don't know. That would have been really. I mean, I like the Merlin version too. But yeah, this would have actually added to Morgana's arc a little bit yeah also i look i don't normally comment on the acting like in terms of specific acting choices but i have to say i'm not a fan of the way that katie chose to play this scene and i don't want to blame katie because maybe the director wanted it to be this way but for me katie is just too vulnerable in this scene the way that she's talking and the kind of like high pitch of her voice and the kind of ha 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 like I'm not I'm I'm not a fan like honestly if it were me I would have done this scene very very differently I would have had her play it much more sarcastic much more kind of tired and irritated like yeah but she would yeah. she should be more Ghana like she should be you know, sassy. Yeah, but also snarky. just but yeah, but also just to show how tired she is because but you know, she's she's now been keeping this a secret since um episode three. Uh she's been keeping her dreams a secret all the way from episode two, I would say, of season one ish. But more specifically for, uh, from the Gates of Avalon. And at this point, you know, when she's, you know, saying this kind of stuff where she says, you know, I don't want to be brave. I just want to be myself. You know, it, she should be saying it more in an irritated anger. She's like, I don't want to be brave. I just want to be myself. Have her be angry, you know, have her be yeah. jaded and cold. That's what I wanted. I wanted her to feel more cold in this scene. She's talking about magic. You know, she's had her emotional moment when she's with Aglaine and she's, you know, scared and she's genuinely scared for her life. Here, I just feel like we're repeating ourselves again. Again, compilation movie. Do something different. Make her feel more jaded. Make her feel more kind of calculated and like she's lived with this for a long time, you know? And this to me just felt like, yeah, kind of backseat, like back of the class, scared girl wearing glasses. And I'm just like, no, I don't want this for Morgana at this point in the story. Especially when we've just had a scene of her snapping at Gwen. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Uh, not a fan. I think this was a big, big mistake on the part of the director. Who, I mean, again, I don't know if this was in the script or Morgana, vulnerable, whatever. But nah, get rid of it. I don't, I don't like it. And yeah, then we have the bit with Mordred, like you said, where he is being baby. <laughs> um, and then we have, uh, the, I've called it the one where Gaius uses his privilege. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, <laughs> which for the first time ever actually <laughs> actually uses his head. But um, I just wrote down, Guy is doing good things. <laughs> He's doing yeah. good things. The thing is, though... <sighs> right. Here we go. Merlin knows that Morgana has... Because he followed her, right? Yeah. yeah. Merlin knows that Morgana's up to no good. Again. <laughs> Merlin knows that Morgana is out to betray them. Again. 
he tells Gaius and then Gaius knows that Morgana is out to get them. And then instead of taking Uther to the side or going to him privately, which would have been completely permissible of him to do, he decides to make this knowledge known to the entire council chambers while Morgana is standing right there. Now, what do you think she's going to do once she learns that the Knights of Camelot are headed towards the camp? She's going to go and warn them. You're not going to get that crystal. She back. literally stands up before Gaius is even done talking or before Gaius yeah. Uther is even done talking. And like, to be fair, at first I was annoyed that she was behaving so suspiciously uh, once Gaius tells Uther about Elvar. But I did in the end kind of like it because like, I mean, this is supposedly the episode where Morgana turns evil, but she's not quite evil yet. And she's concerned about Mordred and unfortunately about Alvar. So like she she doesn't really think about anything yet. She just reacts. Also, I want to, to point out she's wearing the dress again. Yeah. The I'll wear it all the time dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's a good dress. What can, what can we say? It is a good dress. It suits her very well. Also, the fact that Uther believes Gaius is really cool. You know, they've kind of, I feel like they're past their marital spat where he nearly murdered him. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> they're kind of past that. I feel like Uther's now make no, like now, now he believes Gaius, whatever he says, because he needs to make it like, he can't ever doubt Gaius again because he'll look really bad. So whatever Gaius says. Which is now, all the more reason why Gaius should have taken Uther aside yeah. privately. Like, he didn't have to say Morgana, because yeah. that probably would have pushed Uther too far. Yeah. But, like, just tell him privately, listen, I heard about this from someone who doesn't want to be named, because it would be dangerous for them if we got back to the Renegades. Um, but there's this camp, and they stole the crystal, so maybe quietly, discreetly, send some knights to dispatch them. Yeah. And you know, you could even say, I'm 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 suspicious that someone in Camelot might know about this. You know, you don't have to say mm-hmm. it's Morgana. And like that, you know, you can say, it's just so stupid. It's just for the plot. It's just for the plot. There's no the, the stupidest way to do it is the way that Gaius did it. I was like, Gaius, you almost got it right. <laughs> you almost <laughs> got it right. But f- immediately following that, we have the one with Armor Watch. It is the last scene that they will ever have together before the un- unspeakable happened. And it's not even, like, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it's, like, only one-sided armor. Like, it's only, like, in this moment, it's only Arthur thinking it's a shippy moment. But Morgana, clearly not, because for some reason, she's now in love with Alvar. (laughs) For some reason, when Arthur... For some reason. (laughs) And then she's just, like, she's being... Like, honestly, if she had genuine feelings for Arthur at this point, she probably would have been more successful in persuading Arthur to maybe not not go, but, like, to be more careful or, would like, to delay him a yeah. little bit more or something. But uh, because she's not, like, because she doesn't have any of these feelings, it backfires completely <laughs> what she's been trying to do. Like, honestly, she's like, you're wasting your time, I assure you. How do you like this? Is just one of these moments I didn't even count it before. It's like off. Like why does Arthur not not question how Mo, how would Morgana know yeah. that Arthur is wasting his time? Like I mean, obviously apart from the fact that she's lying, but like if she says, "I assure you, you are wasting your time." If someone said that to me, it's like how can you be sure? Yeah, it, like it, like it would be the peering 
uh, gif, and then it would also be the police, like you know, meme, you know, like with the with the like uh, uh, clubs, like how do you know? <laughs> it's just it's so stupid. Um, this is also the only scene they've had this season. That's it. Can you believe that? In fact, I think that uh, I can't remember who was on the commentary for this episode, but someone was, and they mentioned it. They're like, "Oh, I feel like we had a lot more of these moments in season one. This kind of like bitey bitey." And I, and I was going, "I know, I noticed." <laughs> you don't need to tell me, an armor shipper, that we've not had any armor watch in season two. It's just, it's very, it's very upsetting. I mean, obviously, you know, Gwen took Morgana's place. I get it, but it's just like and then people go off to go find them i'm just so annoyed again that morgana manages to go ahead of the knights like she goes on horseback again obviously because she has to go on horseback to travel that distance but like no one thinks that that's weird at all that a she's leaving by herself i mean at least it's not the middle of the night this time but like no one thinks it's strange that Morgana is leaving on horseback by herself just because before Arthur is taking all his knights on a raid to get rid of some bandits. Like, that's not strange to anyone? <sighs> not a single person? Okay. Apparently not. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, um, and then yeah, and then yeah. there's this there's this uh, scene where Merlin and Arthur ride side by side, and Arthur says, "I don't know why I bring you on these expeditions. Neither do we, Arthur. No one else brings their emotional support man servant, yeah. but you do." Uh, yeah, it's yeah, and like there's just a really kind of sweet moment where Arthur's actually kind of like laughing and teasing, and you know, trying to get him <laughs> to say that he's like talking nonsense as usual. But, like, the funniest part is that it becomes clear why Arthur brought him. Like a minute later, yeah. because apparently Merlin is the one who knows the way. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, but it could have been like. Yeah, but it could have been one of those things where, like, you know, um, guy, you know, obviously Merlin knows the way because he's been there. But like in the fake version that Arthur knows, right? Gaius knows the way, and then because Merlin always comes with Arthur, Gaius told Merlin because it was just easier because he assumed Merlin would go. So I feel like okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so so I think it's sort of like um. Arthur saying like I don't know why I bring you in general like why do I just bring you on these things in general why are you always here and I'm like because you're gay like, <laughs> <laughs> like everybody knows you're just codependent Arthur that's yeah exactly reason. that's why you know it's kind of part of the package deal with you know you two don't you know that um but there's like and then there's just a bit where, where, like where they stop and Merlin's like oh shit like I don't know this <laughs> there's a bit where he gets off the horse and he starts like listen and like i love arthur's like you could hear him in the background just shouting but no but like the like before the audio goes fuzzy and you can't really understand him anymore he goes this is your fault (laughs) it's just (laughs) but he's not even being me like you don't even you know this is just arthur being arthur but he's just like he doesn't get down to doing anything. He just sits there on his high horse, literally, and just starts like putting the world to rights. Like, you know, this is your fault. And then you can hear him like shouting, um, yeah, like in the background, like, 
something to do with the keys. He like brings it back to the keys. Like you, you know, he's the kind of husband that brings stuff up from like three years ago that happened. <laughs> he's like, if except this was like literally two days ago, and it was Merlin's fault. Yeah, but it's like you know, the point isn't the keys anymore, is it? Really, let's <laughs> not let's not bring that up constantly. You know, he's been talking about the keys the entire ride there. Um, and then Merlin makes uh, a track while nobody is looking, which you know is quite smart. But then. When Arthur turns around, all the knights are looking in Merlin's direction, and that's when he decides to do the rest of the tracks. <laughs> like Arthur might not be looking, but there are like seven knights that are looking. In they way. don't count. That's why Gaius can get away with yelling about Merlin's magic with an open door because the guards <laughs> don't count. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then there's just this kind of, you know, point, you know, like a fighty, fighty, fighty scene. And the only- no, 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 no. Okay. I called this one the one with the ambush. And I cannot believe, I literally cannot believe Arthur didn't see the ambush coming. Like, I know I've said this before, but battle strategy is his thing. Yeah. What are you good for if you can't see an ambush coming? <laughs> Merlin saw the ambush coming. And I'm just like, I don't understand anything. And then Mordred kills two knights. And like I said, I can support that because he's a frightened kid whose life was threatened several times in just two years. And he yeah, has completely he's he's adopted this like better you than me philosophy. But then the creepy smile afterwards, I cannot Ooh. support. I'm sorry, baby, but that's that's it's too much that's too much but like merlin being ruthless i love you know the fact that he's finally learning and he's finally willing to kill him i think is uh, actually kind of good you know because if mordred hadn't killed the guards he would have been murdered and merlin knows that so in it, inadvertently merlin killed mordred <laughs> like he was happy it's sort of like you know yes he survived but like Merlin like you know morally killed Mordred just like he morally killed Morgana like you know just because they happen to be saved that doesn't really make much difference which is kind of cool like I like to see him finally you know doing the right thing <laughs> um yeah but like this is this brings us back to you know self-fulfilling prophecies it's because the dragon is telling Merlin that Mordred and Morgana are going to be the downfall of Arthur, that Merlin starts mistrusting them, which leads him to making decision that will lead to them mistrusting him and thus turning them against Arthur in the first place. Yeah, but at this point... I mean, with, with Mordred, it's a little more complex because there's also Kara and mm. like him not really... Like understanding the problem with what Kara was doing, and like what Arthur was trying to do for Kara in return. Mm. But like, it's just it's if the dragon hadn't warned Merlin against Mordred and Morgana, Merlin probably would not like he still would have been suspicious of Morgana's actions, sure, but he wouldn't have been suspicious of Mordred. At the very but least, the problem because with Mordred the Mo- is a child. But the problem with the Mordred story is kind of brought up in, in this moment, because Mordred is creepy AF in this moment. We know he's been creepy the entire show. We know that he knows something, and we know that he's up to no good. And the thing is, is that Merlin mistrusting Mordred has actually nothing to do with Mordred turning evil. Because 
when Mordred comes back, you know, he says, I will never forget this Empress. He looks like he's ready to kill Merlin. Like, literally, he looks like he might as well kill him on the spot. And when Alex comes in in season five, his Mordred, I'm sorry, is not the same character. He does I mean, not I can... have the beef with Merlin that this Mordred No, does. but like, he's he's older now. I mean, it's some, it's weird because Alex looks like he's actually, you know. Yeah. 15 years older than baby Asa, but like in in reality it's probably just like it's can't it can't even be 10 years because there's only like what a five year gap between season two and season five yeah i kind of assume he's like 18 at like like at this point yeah but like you know i can believe that he grew up a little more and was like gosh i was a melodramatic child or a psycho <laughs> that's a bit of an understatement <laughs> he's a psychopath look at his face. no but like with the whole with the whole i will never forget this emirates you will pay but like this was him being very melodramatic and and like yeah he he killed people and maybe he regrets that it's and that's why he's a different person in season five who is absolutely willing to do everything at anything for arthur at this point um and then yeah and merlin's suspicion isn't really what pushes mordred over the edge but it sure doesn't help no but it's kind of it's made to the entire show makes you believe that this is kind of the tipping point for mordred um becoming the way that he is which is yeah. which is complete bullshit because mordred trusts merlin he has and this is what annoys me he has no reason to trust merlin in season five he has all the reason to be suspicious of merlin and all he wants is merlin's uh trust and validation which makes no sense because merlin tried to kill him twice and i'm just so frustrated with this story morgana i completely get you like you know she felt as though you know he was mistrusting her but again you know the last time they spoke about magic was in the nightmare begins morgana has no reason to assume that if she did not go to merlin with this problem that he would not help her like there's no reason for her to be um judgmental of him to be scared of him everything about this episode is utter bullshit i'm so pissed <laughs> off by it i'm pissed off by mordred's bullshit foreshadowing i'm pissed off that he basically well, got a complete just, rewrite yeah that's uh, i was about to say the writers just forgot by the time they got to season five that mordred was supposed to hate merlin they just forgot that just like they forgot that like just like they suddenly remember that Morgana was Uther's daughter in season three. It's the same kind of bullshit. Yeah, it is. And this is why you know, honestly, I I really love season two. It's probably it's probably my favorite season, and I think season five has got a lot of good things about it. Like I do, but this is why I did not like the time skip. The time skip ruined this show. I really, really do believe that it. You can't do the. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't Shall gonna get on? this riled up. I promised myself. I promised Sh shall myself. Shall we let let's move on to the one at the campfire because this is where I get riled up. Yeah. Arthur Arthur has been consistently making bad battle decisions. 
He didn't investigate further about people being in Morgana's rooms, even though he absolutely should have searched it since he had an eyewitness account of people entering it or heading that way. And to ensure Morgana's safety, he should have checked it on those grounds alone, no matter what she said. Second, he didn't anticipate an ambush when he could see from the tree line that the camp was empty. Third, when Detective Merlin points out at the campfire that in order to plan an ambush, the bandits must have known that the knights were coming, which means that someone likely told them, Arthur dismisses it. Sure, they could have used magic to figure it out, but given that Arthur didn't accept magic as a reasonable explanation for anything else in this episode, it sure is weird that he's using it as a lazy excuse now. It's literally like, oh, they're sorcerers, it must be to do with magic. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? That's just him being. That's just him being Uther's son. Yeah, but even it must be Uther, important to no, them. Uther would have uh, caught on to this for uh-huh. sure. This, mm-hmm. No son of Uther's, no son of my Uther would have acted <laughs> this way. I am, you know, Uther was right in Queen of Hearts. Arthur is no son of his. And like, especially, oh my god, like. Uh, I didn't think about this at the time when I was watching this, but uh, as we said earlier with Morgana telling him, I assure you, you are wasting your time. And then Merlin bringing up, hey, don't you think it's weird that they had time to plan an ambush? Someone must have tipped them off. Like, why is Arthur not connecting any dots, even though they're clearly, like, numbered for him? Like, he has a big crayon. There are only two dots. One of them is... Titled one, the other one says two, and he literally just has to draw a straight line. And he doesn't do it. It's, yeah. Mm. It's like Merlin taking his hand and trying to make him draw the line and Arthur just refusing to do it. I'm, yeah, I'm not. Oh, okay. What I do like about this scene, like there's there's like a little funny moment at the beginning where Arthur says something and Merlin didn't hear him and so he just re- replies with sorry and Arthur's like that's not the answer to the question. <laughs> I love that Merlin's instant like <laughs> instinct whenever Arthur says something to him is just to apologize because he assumes he's being <laughs> reprimanded. I just think that's See, so I, funny. I, I I just thought he was like being sorry. What was that? Oh, I, because yeah. you 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 do say. Sorry, yeah. when you didn't hear something. I didn't, so I assumed that was him. Oh, okay. I didn't know it. Like, I don't think there was like an inflection at the end, but maybe there was. Like, like, like I don't know. But it's just Arthur's kind of um, not the right answer. <laughs> it's just great. Yeah, just all all what you said is what I've got. The fact that he that Arthur doesn't suspect a spy even before Merlin brings it up. Um, what I do like though, or and this is what I was referring to earlier about Arthur being nice like once or twice, but I don't know if this was just like an oversight, but okay, Merlin has been irresponsible the entire episode. Merlin has uh, allowed someone to break into Arthur's chambers and it's because of him that the crystal goes missing. So what does Arthur do? He lets Merlin uh, guard the, the crystal uh, oh when they see. And the thing is, is like, I don't know if this is just kind of like us meant to be like, oh, you know, yes, Arthur was mad at Merlin, but he, you know, out of all the knights that are present who are trained and have weapons, he trusts Merlin the most to look after it. Like he knows that, you know, Merlin is trusted. I read it I read it as um him giving it to Merlin so Merlin can try to redeem himself. Ah, I like that. Just like him, you're going to guard this or else. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, Everything that you said, where it's like, why would Arthur give it to Merlin when Merlin has done nothing but disappoint him 
in regards of like in terms of security measures yeah. he has taken so far that's just i the also the only good thing about this episode and one of the only good things about anything in merlin is the fact that we are about to witness foreshadowing for something that will happen in two episodes time can you believe that yeah <laughs> like wow Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just like, why didn't we continue this trend of planning ahead? <laughs> I don't understand. But also, that is that is the equivalent of like, oh my god, this is. Um, people are gonna hate me for this, but like, um, this is the equivalent of a fic writer putting their WIP on Ao3 while they're still writing it without knowing where it's going to go or how long it's going to be. And like, unlike people who have written their story full out and are posting it in installments just because that's what they like, but then, you know, the Merlin writers are just like posting their whip as they're writing it instead of like finishing it. But the fact that they're kind of basically trying to link these three episodes is something we've never seen in Merlin before. I mean, okay, no, yes, uh, we we kind of see it with the evil Gwen arc because those kind of have to be linked, but not with like something specifically plot related, not where we have the witch's quickening foreshadowing events for the dragon's call following the witch's quickening. We have evil Morgana and then the, basically the fires of Edesholes and the, the last dragon lord are basically a two-parter like that like that has never really happened um in merlin uh where the witch is quickening like it's not part of the last dragon lord arc it's its own separate thing but it is connected to it and that's very odd and yeah i wish they had done more of that you know we have another cave sequence and i think the crystal cave is one of the best written episodes in merlin hands down but it's still in a self-contained unit it doesn't have the um you know brilliant foreshadowing of uh, you know, episodes down the line, which I think is so cool. However, what I will say is, um, I wonder if maybe Merlin either forgot. He does. He he seems quite traumatized by what he saw in the crystal, and I wonder if um, his trepidation when he's about to set Kilgara free is because of that vision, or if he's just like genuinely just always suspicious of Kilgara because he does say you will not harm Camelot, but he not like. Do you think he knows, like, deep down that what he saw in the crystal is going to come true? I think he dreads that it's going to come true. Yeah. And he is suspicious of Kilgara. Like, he does um, try to wring the promise from Kilgara not to harm Camelot to prevent what's going to happen. Mm. Like, to prevent what he saw in the crystal. But at the same time... I don't think he trusts Kilgara to keep his word, but since Merlin gave his word to free him, he doesn't really have a choice either way. Yeah. Oh, Merlin, Merlin. So, Merlin, like, Merlin. it's it's him just knowing that, you know, he is likely the one who makes that happen, which he saw in the crystal, despite his best efforts to prevent it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man. Um <laughs> the next scene that I have written down, I actually don't know what scene it is because I was too vague in my notes. 
<laughs> I uh, I have it written down as the one with the biggest bullshit of all. What comes next after Cave? Yeah, foreshadowing where Morgana is in it because that's what I've got. It's the one with the death sentence where Uther sentences Alvar to death, mm-hmm. where Alvar says, "I acted alone." Oh and God. Morgana is like briefly terrified that Alvar is going to betray her and then he doesn't, which is just another piece of the puzzle where she's like, oh no, I must free him because he was loyal to me and didn't betray me. Like, And then, yeah, Morgana disowning Uther at the end. This And like, yeah, go ahead. It's apart from like how we already ranted about how this is the wrong episode to have this to have this reaction from Morgana. The utter shock on Uther's face, especially after Morgana has left the room, is amazing. I love this acting mm-hmm. of Antony. Yeah. He like Uther does not understand how this could have happened, where this is coming from. And I get it, because like there's been a it, year it of no problem. <laughs> like the the last time they fought about something like this was Intergill the King. And that was a, a year, year ago. ago. <laughs> and they've been fine since then. And now, out of the blue, because Uther has no idea how much Morgana was involved in any of this, <laughs> she's just like yelling at him. And she <laughs> and he's just like, what the fuck just happened? But like, you know, but the thing that really pisses me off about this is that Morgana is acting like she has no intelligence to speak of. I I get that she's angry about the way that magic users are persecuted. I get that she's angry about the the way that things are. But the thing is, is that she knows that Alvar is a traitor to Camelot, the kingdom. She knows that if he had his way, he would kill Uther and everyone in it. (laughs) And when she is arguing with Uther... He she goes his what what did he do wrong? <laughs> his only crime was to defy you. And I'm like, Morgana, he wants That's to literally kill him. that is treason. <laughs> that That's is like the only literally crime the me. definition of a crime. He was doing he was <laughs> acting against the government. <laughs> like Yeah, but even And like there are times and places where you should act against the government. Like when your government is a fascist dictatorship you should act against your government but like even if he was like i would get it if he was just you know quietly living a magic life and being disobedient you know to the to the magic law. like that that is defying uther alvar is part of a violent gang of renegades who has openly admitted to morgana that his plan is to bring about the downfall of the entire kingdom, women and children both. <laughs> and the fact that she still thinks that Uther is in the wrong to want him dead is so frustrating. And I'm just like, how does anybody, like, how is any viewer expected to be a fan of this character when she behaves like a complete moron? I do, like, th- I mean, like like mother, like son, because this is exactly the way that Mordred behaved in season five. What do you mean you're going to execute Kara when she's tried to take your life? The thing that Alvar is being punished for 
is that he tried to kill Uther, isn't it? I feel like if it had been just the theft of the crystal, maybe he would have gotten away with imprisonment. But since no, he also I don't think again- so. He's got magic. He's dying. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, yeah, and then for Morgana to, yeah, like I said, I mean, at least they're consistent, like mother, like son. It's just, um, it's absolutely outrageous. And yeah, for Uther to, like, you know, he's, and he's, and he's baffled because he's like, what, what am I not getting through to her with? Like, what is, like, what else do I need to say for her to understand? Like, did she not hear what I heard? I honestly, Uther is the best character in Merlin. I'm sorry. He is, he's gone through a lot, right? He does, he is the only one making sense. He, he doesn't win the father of the year award. He did put her in shackles in the first season. He did. He did indeed. So like, (sighs) and he is kind of emotionally distant, but more with Arthur than with Morgana, to be quite honest. He has given Morgana many chances. I feel like with Morgana, he's being pretty affectionate and it's obvious how much he cares about her should we talk about the end dialogue of this scene <laughs> you shall go uh. to your chambers <laughs> yeah he's you, sending Uther, her over. you will go to hell yeah oh my god <laughs> i um honestly <laughs> I, i've never lost for words but i just don't know what to say and it's I mean, you I, I already find chambers. it. It's like it's just <laughs> he is he is trying to ground her, <laughs> like she's a twelve-year-old child. In an episode where we're supposed to have the climactic moment of our proper Merlin villain, he's trying to ground. <laughs> and then, and but like her rejoinder is just as ridiculous as well. And you, Uther, will go to hell. It's just, I. It would have been so much stronger, so much stronger for her, for her just to say from this day forward, I disown you and then storm out. Yeah. Why they felt the need to have this and you Uther will go to hell moment is beyond me. I guess, uh, yeah, I just, it is one of the worst lines of dialogue in the entire series. Like, like with for, for me, without a doubt, I sometimes it wakes me up in the middle of the night that I know that this exists in the show. <laughs> and I'm just like, someone made an edit once, I think. I will never find it, but it still sticks with me. Where someone did like a fun, um, like dubstep kind of like edit for like either Uther or Morgana, and it had like the "You will go to your chambers" like on like a fun dubstep kind of reverb with like a repeating like thing, and it was just so funny just to hear it like over and over and over again. And he says it in such a badass way as well. And I'm like, it's not a badass line. It's like, you miss the mark so much. Yeah, so I like the following scene with Merlin and Gaius just because it's kind of repetitive and boring. But I do love Gaius's line about our actions uh, uh, shaping the future. It it actually holds no water for the way that the Merlin canon chooses to talk about fate but um i like but i like it uh as a as a concept and i think it's a it's a nice scene just kind of for guys character and for the themes that the show tries to do which is like it plays with fate a lot and i think you know maybe they were trying to go for this our actions shape our future not 
fate, but obviously they ended up ignoring that because fate ends up shaping the Merlin universe every single time. What I like about this is that when Merlin like tells Gaius about the vision he had, you have this ominous vocalization music in the background, which we hear sometimes when something like foreshadowing is happening, like magic foreshadowing. We also heard it when Arthur was carrying the crystal past Merlin in the renegade camp at first, like where, where you have this little slow-mo moment of like Merlin turning his head to follow the crystal. That was also that music. And I, I do like that this is that this is there just to sort of illustrate how Merlin feels about this vision that he had, like this little it's a bit creepy, basically. So yeah. I like that bit. Morgana asking for her sleeping track. Like, okay, I know this is just like a plot convenience, so I'm not really going to get too wound up about it, but I feel like there's a difference between a sleeping draft, like something to help you sleep, and something that will knock you out. Like, sleeping pills don't knock you out, right? They just help you go to sleep when you're already planning on doing it. <laughs> but like, one of the guards... Like later when Alvar is escaping, he wasn't all the way asleep. He does wake up and grab yeah. Alvar by the ankles. So, you know, that sort of checks out. Maybe they were just like, I mean, this is a night shift, you know, maybe they were already tired and yeah. hoping to go to sleep. And then they, they had some sleeping draft and that just made it easier to fall asleep. Yeah, maybe. And then we have the next romantic scene with like Morgana and Alvar, which is again, because Morgana doesn't know that none of this is real. And so it's just like, you know, really really stupid um also what i find really funny is that she when she gives the knights the the picture she turns to the left which is actually the entrance to, to the dragon's cave even though that's not where the cells are <laughs> the cells are like elsewhere like even in the canon like merlin goes down those stairs to go to the dragon cave so yeah it's kind of like Meh. but she goes to speak to alvar um and gives him some like I don't remember if Katie had a problem getting through this line or if like other people found it hard to listen to it, but it's in the commentary that like she like her when she says I've found a way to ease your passage was always a bit of a a bit of a problem on set. Like apparently they just couldn't get through it for obvious reasons because it's like such a ridiculous line. <laughs> but I love it so much. Um does she give him a key? No. Well, he uses uh, to spring the, yeah. the spell. So, and he like he yells it. And I'm just like, why are you yelling it? You can just say it quietly and the lock will open just the same way. So what but does he's she like, do? Like, like, why is she there? She's just there to tell she, him she that only, the guards to, are knocked out. Yeah. She, she's only there to just, like, say goodbye and to tell him that, you know, the guards are going to fall asleep and that he can escape. I mean, that makes sense yeah. that she would go down there to talk to him and, like, let him know that he can escape. It's just all the pointless romance stuff that are, that annoys me. Yeah, it's... Yeah. But also, like, yeah, I mean, it is smarter than, I guess, breaking him out herself. But at the same time, the guards have been drugged. So it's like, yeah, it, like, you either give him a key and then it's found out or you drug the guard. Like, you know, who else would have drugged the guards if not a spy? You know, it's like... <laughs> And and also the worst part of it is is because she got um Gwen involved, Gwen could have, you know, thought something was off, right? Like if Gwen found out oh, the 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 guards uh they uh they all fell asleep and then 
Morgana asks Gwen for the sleeping draft, and it's like, I mean, okay, I know that, like, in th- okay, okay, hang on. Morgana asks Gwen f- for the sleeping draft. I assume she wants to be giving herself an alibi of like, oh, Gwen knows that I was asleep, right? But the problem is, is that Morgana knows where her sleeping draft is kept, and so she could have easily just taken it herself, not told Gwen she was that she had possession of the sleeping draft because i assume i'm i'm not sure if gwen was present at the um, at the scene later but if she got wind of the fact that the guards were drugged and that's how alva got out of the castle she would be smart enough to connect the dots oh well i gave morgana a sleeping draft she had it on her um i'm not saying she would necessarily suspect her but she could definitely have that on her mind also morgana is up and about dressed later when Alvar is discovered to be missing and so considering that Gwen knows she apparently took a sleeping draft it would be very suspicious to see her up and about when that's supposed to knock her out cold yeah but Gwen at that point isn't in the castle anymore because she oh, is now in her house because yeah, fair enough. Oh, no. it's just yeah Morgana should not have asked Gwen to give her that she's just taken it herself unless we, it was for the benefit of the audience like where did she get a sleeping dress oh, I'm so tired of being treated like I'm stupid <laughs> when I watch Merlin <laughs> I'm so tired of it I mean like we said it is a kids show maybe the kids need reminding yeah that's fair enough um, yeah it's a family show I guess we do we do forget about that but um, yeah and then like I said it's like it's like with the with all the repetition of like magic is not evil magic yeah, is a yeah, gift yeah. blah 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 I feel like it's designed so that people who don't watch every episode who maybe tune in occasionally or like by accident yeah. that they have all the information yeah, yeah. that longtime viewers also have i can see that as a reason behind That's it like true. sure it's an it's annoying to people who watch every episode of the show and especially when you rewatch the show but like that's probably not what they had in mind when they wrote it mm-hmm. they were like trying to appeal to the largest possible demographic mm-hmm. and that included people who only tune in every once in a while to watch yeah you're an right you're right show. Uh, and then we have the ending which uh, like i said i genuinely um think is one of the worst endings to an episode in merlin that we've ever had Uther knows exactly who helped alvar escape he li- he looks directly Lee at, at morgana yeah. and the only way like this makes any like it's similar to what what you told me that people have this headcanon of like Arthur knowing about Merlin's magic where he's like if you ever do anything like this again I will hand you over to my father myself mm-hmm. and that is like Uther behaving this way towards Morgana is similar to that because I feel like it could be like uh, him telling Morgana if you ever defy me again I will have to punish you at the same time do not get caught <laughs> like he's at the same time he's like telling her do not get caught defying me I'm just like yeah, but we've already been down this road in the beginning of the end like and it was much worse then and i'm just like really irritated by uther in this moment he should have i don't know what he should have done he killed her put her in prison i don't know like something <laughs> to actually keep his street cred but like um it's but it doesn't even feel like an ending. Alvar has escaped. He's out there somewhere. Like I said, I completely forgot he even survived in this episode. And what what are we gaining from this? Like, at least they followed through with the whole Morgana willing to defy Uther with Morgos coming back in the Fires of Edith Shola. Like, that at least was quite nice. But 
Oh man, it just it's such an anticlimactic ending. It just kind of and I like um the visual of Merlin watching Morgana but her not noticing him. She doesn't notice him, I don't think, right? She just kind of like turns and looks. Yeah, she I mean she's she's like glaring at Uther. She's too busy glaring at Uther to notice anything else. Yeah. Oh man, it's just yeah. The Uther knows and he does absolutely nothing about it and to be honest with you he's got absolutely nobody to blame for himself that what ends up happening happens and I'm just <sighs> yeah this episode sucks man <laughs> this is the worst episode of season 2 hands down and it's supposed to be one of the most important ones as well it's just a joke I mean, I would love to hear from anyone listening if they like this episode, what they might find redeemable, because I don't enjoy disliking it this much, but I genuinely can't find a single thing in it that hasn't already been covered in the show that makes a lick of sense for Morgana's character. It has no climax. It has no stakes. The catalyst is shit. Alvar is a terrible character. And yeah, it's just... It's very disappointing, really, isn't it? Two seasons of build-up for this. Yeah. Awesome. So, sorry to end it on a shit note. But yeah, the good thing, guys, is that when we do Fires of Edith Schiller and The Last Dragon Lord are some of the best episodes of Merlin, in my opinion, that we've ever had on the show and some of the, and the best episodes of season two or some of the best episodes of season two. So they more than enough make up for the dumpster fire that is The Witch's Quickening. Also, apparently a lot of people thought that The Witch's Quickening was going to be an episode about Morgana falling pregnant because quickening wow. is like a womb thing yeah like apparently the the title was a little bit like misleading <laughs> and it is because i guess the quickening is like the quickening of the life force of the evil i don't i don't know <laughs> Ugh. oh my god now you're grasping at straws i mean that's basically what we do on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's fair. we only survive through headcanons oh, that no. explain the shit that the show didn't bother Ugh, explaining exactly and the thing like you know and we, i really don't like nitpicking um like i nitpick for fun and we nitpick for fun on melissa and like oh why did they come out this door why are they wearing this because it's just fun and you know why not you know it's fun but when it comes down to the real stuff no i don't care why there's no guards outside the door i don't care why this and this and that because you know it's it's a simple story merlin is a simple narrative about fate and destiny and it's essentially a tragedy we didn't know it was a tragedy at this particular <laughs> moment in time we were lied to and clowned like the idiots that we are but we didn't know it was a tragedy that is what it is now that is obvious it was like that from day one but um it's a simple story so i don't i try not to get bogged down by the plot stuff that doesn't make sense even though i like to complain about it but when it comes to the important things character motivations huge huge um plot altering moments that switch up the entire uh flow of the series like the witch's quickening which is a pivotal episode for everything that is going to come after it and it's this week it it's really disappointing <laughs> like this is a beauty and the beast we're talking about here you know those episodes could have you know this is a really important episode um but yeah, if you guys feel differently, please feel free to let us know. Um, I would be very happy to be given a new perspective. I'm always happy to be 
have my mind changed on something that I dislike if there's a reason for it because uh, I'm not I'm not the kind of person that just digs my heels in for no reason I just I just really hated this episode watching it this morning <laughs> but yeah so that is the witch's quickening that it is all right tell us your social media books yeah so i'm miss snowfox on twitter and miss snowfox on instagram and youtube and also miss snowfox on ao3 where i do not post merlin fic currently but if you are into anime and specifically haiku i write haiku fic on ao3 which is under miss snowfox so hey amazing I'm Zencredible on AO3, where I did actually recently post a Merlin fanfic, probably the last one ever. It's a gen fic, it's not shippy. Do not read it as shippy, I forbid you. And I'm also Zen underscore reads on AO3, where I post podfic. You can also find me on Tumblr as Kreative Agusa or Zencredible27. Our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Melissa. All other sound effects in this episode come from freesound.org. The man up on our cover was made by Berlin's Keep, and the cover was made by me. And next time, in about a month, we will be reviewing The Fires of Idir Sholas, episode 12 of season 2. So stay tuned for that. Until then, I'm Zencredible. And I'm Miss Snowfox. Bye, guys! I feel lonely a lot, right? And I'm tired of it. Sorry, I didn't know where this was going. I was like, oh, okay, we're getting into some personal stuff. So, like, you know, I relate to Morgana. I, too, feel alone. But that doesn't mean that I'm just going to trust any Tom, Dick, and Harry who who makes, like, pretty eyes at me, says some nice words, and then tells me he's going to kill an entire people. Are you sure, Alex? Because apparently this is normal behavior. This would have to be a very special guy. Alvar is very charismatic, apparently. No, he's not. He really is not. (laughs) Would one of your hockey boys be able to convince you to bring Camelot to the crowd? No. No. None of my hockey boys would do that. They only care about hockey. <laughs> well, what if Uther wanted to destroy hockey? Okay, maybe then one of them would. <laughs>